2: Radio. I'm your host Neil Bradley. I'm my co-host tonight, Joe Quinn. Hi there. And joining us is Jason Martin. Hello. So, manufacturing civil war in Syria is the title of today's show. As listeners can probably tell, can I get that blue? We've uh, we're a little sceptical of the official narrative surrounding this conflict, so-called civil war. It can be, well... Is, a little? A little. The fact that it's described as a civil war immediately raises the red flag. But anyway, we're going to take the party line for the moment and use that as a kind of starting point for today's discussion.
0: Can I have, ask a question? When is the red flag today ever lowered? <laughs> I mean, it's like perpetually up these days. There's more than one. <laughs>
2: raise the red flags. <laughs> raise, the, raise, the, raise, the, raise the red flags. Um so what we're supposed to believe runs something like this. Two and a half years ago, beginning around the beginning of 2011, popular uprisings take place across the Middle East, from Tunisia over to Yemen and then north into Syria. The Syrian government, no, sorry, the Syrian regime begins brutally suppressing peaceful peaceful demonstrations. The Western media, Western audiences in general clamor for something to be done about the evil Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad and his ruthless army. (coughs) Somewhere in the middle of this chaos, still in 2011 let's say, and apparently out of nowhere, the peaceful protesters become rebels equipped with rocket launchers, high-powered rifles, massive quantities of bombs, ammunition, Intelligence on Syrian military movements, well-placed informants, and supply lines that enable them to go deep into Syria to undertake daring raids, even hitting Damascus itself. Now they're under the banner of the Free Syrian Army, and the rebels are, well, they're actually beaten back fairly easily by the Syrian Army, but they just seem to keep coming and coming with more and more supplies behind them. Mm. At the same time, in parallel, you've got what appears to be completely random bloody mayhem increasing in the country. Suicide bombings, mass killings, targeted assassinations, trails of dead bodies all over the place. It might actually have something to do with the fact that there are former convicts, mercenaries, and fundamentalists roaming the country who may or may not be the same camp as the rebels. But uh, on the international stage, what we have is this something-must-be-done mindset. Translated into security council meetings, temporary ceasefires, they've already come and gone, apparently, to to, to no no success. Meanwhile, the carnage continues, and just recently, the death toll has been put at something like 100,000 people. Hmm. Uh, The most recent developments, oh yeah, I love this. Western intelligence agencies are currently cooking up something called chemical weapons, allegedly being used against the rebel forces by the Syrian government. And Obama tells us this is the Syrian regime crossing the red line. Uh, Just three days ago, he said, we're ready to implement a no-fly zone in Syria. So you've got Western governments wanting to supply military aid to these rebels, supposedly to defend the Syrian people from their evil dictator, while Russia, China are encouraging dialogue, diplomacy, to resolve this quote-unquote civil war. The Israelis apparently think everyone has no balls, so they're just going in there unilaterally bombing Syria, allegedly to blow up weapons stores that belong to the Syrian government. So, case closed uh there's something there's something
1: wrong with that picture there is something wrong with that picture and it's giving me deja vu
0: it's like something out of a movie it's
1: giving me deja vu but i would just like to say on the uh on the hundred thousand people dead obviously that's a lot of those are civilians uh there's 22 million people in syria uh that's five percent approximately five percent of the population right which would equate to uh about 15 million americans just to give you an idea. I mean, obviously that 50 million is a lot, but if it was happening in America on the same scale, if they yeah. were able to do it on the same scale in America, for example, there'd be 15 million people dead now. So in terms of the spread throughout the country, it gives you an idea. You don't have to think of it as 15 million people dead, but think of it in terms of the spread of the carnage throughout the country for 15 million Americans to have died in some kind of a yeah. in some kind of a war. Uh, that would have to be, you know, large numbers in the major cities and then smaller numbers all across the country. Because that's pretty much what's happened in Syria.
2: Ge- geographically, Syria is a small place. And in fact, most of it is not populated. I mean, it's a desert Then well, the cities are to the west and to the north, mm-hmm. largely. That's a very, very concentrated
1: Exactly. It's concentrated in the cities, yeah, as well. I'm kind of like in America. If, if the same thing happened in America, it would be concentrated in the cities because there's large numbers of the American population in, uh, in the major cities, you know. And I do I, wonder
2: about this figure, though, because it comes from the London-based non-governmental organization called liars. the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights. Or liars. The Syrian Liars for Human Rights. I wonder because human lives, they, they have been called out more than a few times Let's say hyping and placing the blame for attacks on yeah. the Syrian government. Sorry, mm-hmm. regime. Regime makes them sound more evil. You see. I mean,
0: when, when when an organization comes up and says, "Hi, we're a non-governmental organization," I say, "Yeah, run by the CIA or MI5 or MI6." You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're based I mean, when, in London. I mean, because that's what, any con man, you know, says, "Trust me," you know, and any person says, "Don't worry, I'm not a, I'm not a thief." You know, you can let me in your house, you know yeah they they
2: i would say they have a vested interest in inflating the figures, but okay, let's take their word for it. The yeah. situation is atrocious for yeah. such a small area in such a short span of time
1: yeah well, given that this is the the Syrian revolution uh is basically an entirely manufactured revolution yeah. uh and that could be proven to be the case uh it's a kind of a no brainer that any of these organizations that are in there reporting back on figures and stuff that are all that all of the figures and details that seem to be supportive of the, the Western point of view and against Assad and his government, uh they've all been placed there. You know, mm-hmm. there's these local local action committees or something that they've had in there mm-hmm. um for a long time and they've been reporting on all these kind of figures and stuff and they were actually the ones who I don't know if people remember it, but uh I think it was last year uh, or sorry, what year? This is 2013. It was two thousand thirteen. There was two thousand twelve. Sometimes in thousand twelve. There was there was the case of the gay, a gay girl in Damascus, which was a blog supposedly by a Syrian lesbian blogger who had started up. Uh, actually, it started in in June two thousand and eleven. So just a few months after. <clears throat> Uh, the supposed revolution began, she started posting uh, on her blog, her name was supposedly Am- Amina Araf, uh, well actually it was her cousin, who was ma- maintaining the blog, but on her behalf, because she had gone into hiding because of the horrors of the Assad regime, and just because she was homosexual or gay, uh, she, uh, she had to be in hiding, and she, so she was chron- chronicling uh, all of the horrors of life in Assad for the Western public. So it turned out then, uh, a few months later, that uh, this person, I mean, Araf, this gay girl in Damascus, lesbian blogger, was actually a, a, a 40-year-old bearded American guy living in Scotland. Pervert. Uh, right. and, um, in Scotland? Yeah, he was in Scotland. He was at, at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, he ah. was following a course in Arab studies, but had maybe taking a sabbatical. i had been doing a lot of traveling to Turkey and strange places like that around near Syria. Oh, where have we heard that before? And he, he was the one behind this blog, and he had to eventually admit it. He tried to deny it initially, but then he had to admit it. He created he, he, a he, false persona. Yeah, he basically stole a girl's picture and uh, put it up there and claimed to be her. And uh, he maintained that he had nothing to do with the CIA, but it was like it had CIA written all mm. over it. You or, know, you know, one of, those, one of those. His name was Tom McMaster. You know, uh, that's in there. Tom McMaster. I know you can't see it on the radio, but you can look up Tom McMaster and you'll see uh, he's... Uh, at the time when I actually wrote about it, I, uh, I, I, I put the caption under his picture of Tom McMaster, CIA Psyops agent, or just in need of a proper job? Because <laughs> obviously he was, you know, not yeah. really fulfilling his <clears> potential <throat> here, unless he worked for the CIA, in which case he probably was.
2: Um, How do these people live with themselves I mean, I'm sure he'll come around and say, oh, well, the, I mean, it, it was for the good I, in the is end. A,
0: this is a cyber false flag attack. It's pretending to be someone else to rile up support for a cause.
2: Yeah, but how do they justify what he's doing. it in their mind? Well, they must assume that the cause is justified, and therefore the, end, the means justify because the end. Because
0: Assad's regime is so repressive that well, none of them can really get the word out. You don't this, understand. There are no lesbians there because they've all been tortured and murdered. Don't you understand, Neil? <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is the thing it's
1: these, that... It's these groups that I was talking about. The reason I mentioned that is because uh, it was, um, they're called Local Coordination Committees of Syria, a.k.a. CIA Coordination Committees of Syria. Uh, they claim to be grassroots groups and stuff. But they are they are grassroots groups, but they've been put there by the CIA. Yeah, but, and they uh, they were the ones who actually first broke the story that Amina, this fake blogger, who is actually Tom McMaster, uh, had been arrested by Syrian police. So they actually started the whole thing going you know give give uh, publicity to his uh, or brought attention right. to his blog oh
0: so convenient and, what uh, a coincidence
1: but that was a failed op whoever whatever CIA agent was our department was running that and I hope they got a good rap on the knuckles for it and told to go back to CIA one PSYOPs 101 you know and take that course again because
2: it just <clears throat> was horrible
3: <laughs> uh, it do-
2: it doesn't seem to have stopped them um, coming up with endless, endless propaganda. I remember getting into very heated Facebook discussions with people at the time, you know. People who, who you know, would be consistently anti-war. Mm-hmm. In fact, we, they would have just come off the back of seeing that there was no justification for NATO to bomb Libya. Gaddafi was not the bad guy he was made out to be and so on. Fresh off the back of that, they were screaming at me, to open my eyes and see how evil President Bashar al-Assad was and their explanation their, their, their evidence to back this up was go and look at all these YouTube videos so okay I went and looked at these of mass protests and I looked at the details or I found maybe the, someone it had been mirrored from someone else and you go and read the, the original description it was a mass protest defending the Syrian government against what was happening there
3: mm-hmm. and what was
2: happening well there were some small protests well besides w- whether or not there were small protests there were clashes between government forces and so called peaceful protesters in which more government forces were shot dead now I thought well hang on peaceful protesters are firing back at government protesters something's not right well now. hell
0: they should
2: <laughs> well of course it.
0: it Hey honey look American gladiators <laughs> on.
2: Yeah. Operation Distraction. It's, yeah. I realized that we were looking at a very similar situation to Libya where they were doing a mind job on people. <coughs> there were no there was no mass uprising hmm. against Bashar al-Assad just no. as there was not against Gaddafi. No. But in the in somehow in in the heat of the moment the Arab Spring 2011 where there were mass demonstrations taking place in neighboring countries, it was quite easy, it seems, to just blend this into
0: the mix. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the the ham-handedness and the the ham-fistedness of all the manipulation is just because uh, I don't think it was really on schedule, but they thought, hey, there's all this Arab Spring stuff going on. Let's let's try this out and see how it works. And it's working like a charm because people – People have – they don't practice any kind of discernment. They don't look at a situation and say, hold on a second. Who's telling me Mm. what's going on there? Um, The government. Okay. Uh, Who should I not believe? The government. Okay. So should I believe what the government tells me? No, I shouldn't. You shouldn't believe what the – if the government says it, it's a lie. Just immediately. Just – even if it's not a lie, it's still a lie. You should just work off the principle that it is a lie. Start from there. Yeah, well, I mean,
1: there were there are a few things that um, that should be highlighted about the the beginning of this supposed Syrian revolution, which was uh, in March, 2011. Yeah, around then, when, when there was the uh, first supposed demonstrations, all of the demonstrations, the so-called demonstrations against Assad, started uh, in border regions, uh, with uh, in towns on the Turkish border. On the Jordanian Jordanian border Jordanian on the south, yeah. on, on the Lebanese border, mm-hmm. um, so this is indicative of protesters, rent a crowd being being yeah. being funneled in just over the border to start these demonstrations. And the initial reports actually, um, there's one here from NPR in June 2011, stated that uh, at least 120 members of the, of the Syrian security forces were killed in a battle with what it called armed organizations. So the fact of the matter is that initially these demonstrations were violent, and they were very well organized, and they, even, they were firing mortars at um, at police and just indiscriminately as part of these demonstrations. This wasn't your average peaceful protest by people. This was uh, clearly a, a well organized by someone else.
0: Um, and but I'm that, curious about though. Here's the thing that I'm curious about: Why isn't there more video of these things happening? Well, there is,
1: you know, um, and and in fact, on um, th- this is part of the on December sorry. on December twenty fourth, when it was when it was nine months going the um, there was a Le- League of Arab States observer mission to Syria, and just day before Christmas Day in, in two thousand eleven, that comprised observers from every single country in the Arab world that went to Syria to to check out what was going on there. They had a mission to. A fact finding mission essentially, and they published a report. probably nobody knows this because it wasn 't actually very widely disseminated in the news uh, surprise surprise uh, and what um in the report, the members of the mission uh they came to some very interesting conclusions uh, very conclusions that were starkly in stark contrast to the official story about what was going on um they said that they observed armed groups committing acts of violence against government forces, resulting in the death and injury among their ranks. And examples of those acts include the bombing of a civilian bus. So this is supposedly a, a people power uh, yeah. dem- revolution demonstration, that, and somehow these guys right off the bat are bombing civilian buses and killing killing civilians, yeah. killing Syrian civilians. Um, you know, killing it, the bombing of the bus in, in that case that they. That these Arab observers witnessed uh, included uh, the deaths, included women and children, killed eight people. Um, They also were bombing trains carrying diesel oil. Um, They also said that the media exaggerated the nature of the incidents and the number of persons
2: killed in the incidents. Um, Because they were getting all their information from these. Yeah. CIA coordination. At the
1: same time, there was a French. Around the same time, a few months previously, there was a French um, journalist was killed, that was reported as evidence of you know Assad's crackdown on foreign reporters and stuff. But uh, the Arab mission concluded that uh, he was killed by opposition, the the rebel uh, mortar shells. Um, So,
2: you know, to answer your question, Jason, the internet is actually flooded with videos of what's been going on in Syria. A lot of them have been taken up by mainstream media, widely reported. And then, invariably, it emerges that the footage you're seeing, I mean, some of it is is extreme beyond, I mean, we're talking about cutting kids' heads off, um, and lining them up, and then videotaping it, and then posting it and saying, look what the Assad regime is doing. And then it emerges that these so-called rebels did it right? right. time and time again. Yeah, uh, That's just one story. There's just There are countless horrors coming out. And yeah, I it, mean, it, it shows to me that they are prepared to go to any lens. Oh, absolutely. It's, to, this is
0: Frank Kitson. This is the Kitson Doctrine. Yeah. This is 100% what he and Trinkier said they needed to do in order to... What do they call it? Gangs? Pseudo gangs. Pseudo gangs. Yeah, basically. I mean, he admitted in in his book, um, what was it called? Modern, not modern warfare. It was the the big five, I think, was what he called it. Mm-hmm. And he just admitted to running around, you know, Africa, with, uh, with shoe polish on his face, you know, murdering people and raping people to to make the opposition look bad. You know, I mean, and you know, Trinquier said the same kind of thing earlier that the best way to deal with with guerrillas is to dress like them and commit atrocities. That's basically your only solution because you can't find them, and they usually have the support of the people. So you have to take that away, and the way they take it away is you dress up in their clothes and you go around and rape and murder some people, and then you give them a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. And that that was their solution to that problem, and that's what they've been employing the entire time. They dress up like some terrorist, or they or they find somebody, or they manipulate somebody. They get somebody who's kind of brown looking, you know. I mean, and put them in a situation. Uh, where something happens, or something is going to happen, and they say, "Look, see," uh, you know. I mean, it's, it's the same kind of story.
2: Yeah, and they've been recruiting these people from uh, mainly from from Libya, which well, they've been out. they've been also, recruiting them from from
1: everywhere, from anywhere they can find them. They have a they have you know cadres of of these types that are basically you know guns for hire. They're also largely uh, extremist muslims who just want a bit of power for themselves so maybe they just like killing but they've obviously they've used them as their proxy army for for decades basically yeah. and they've you know maybe they just i don't know they i mean there's all sorts of there's a big history behind that in terms of the Saudis being involved in training kind of extremist muslims through madrasas and stuff and arming them you know basically child soldiers and well, raising them up to the, to do the bidding of of the of the Americans and the Brits and the French.
0: The term r- he uses for it, though, uh, for the whole situation, is, is low intensity operations. Yeah, that's what low he was calling warfare, it. Yeah. Low intensity warfare, which is a funny name for basically, you know, yeah. extreme violence. Extreme violence, but not an not an official war with tanks okay, we're not
2: we're not officially a war. Oh, look at us, you know, butter wouldn't melt. We're on the sidelines. Yeah. Look at that situation. Isn't yeah. it awful? No, a civil war awful. has just spontaneously arisen between these people. Maybe, should we, maybe, maybe we should step it. in. Maybe we ought to step in and, yeah. and protect them. Yeah. It's mm. disgusting. There was a recent report um, in April. The EU's anti-terror chief. I didn't know the EU had an anti-terror chief. But there you go. No, G- do Gilles do de Kershov Ker- must be French told the British media that some 500 Europeans were in Syria to fight against the government of Bashar al-Assad. German Interior Ministry Hans-Peter Friedrich has said that a number of German nationals have teamed up with the foreign-backed militants in Syria. Well, there you go. I mean, that's, that's a mainstream report. I mean, they know it.
1: Yeah, I and mean, they do it. It's The sad thing about it is that the truth about the situation is all over the mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, it's not really a secret anymore. Um, but they've—I I, suppose—they figure that they've—they they've, have people in such a position now. The programming is almost complete uh, that they can release these kind of details or they allow these details to be released. Uh, I think they're
0: required to.
1: They're either required to or they just have got to the point where they're doing it so flagrantly that they don't care anymore and they know that it'll come out in the media. The media can't not report some of it, but they don't care because, you know, they know that nothing's going to happen as a result.
2: Whatever way the interests lie here, it seems that some don't care more than others. I think the Germans are saying, we're not so sure about getting any more involved in this. They're backing away. Mm. While the Brits and the Americans are... And well, the Frenchies and the French are gung ho. Uh, that's that's another thing. Okay, <laughs> these people. I mean, the Free Syrian Army. It's it's widely talked talked about now that there there's no such thing really. That's a name, a moniker that's been given to them. They are the Al Qaeda that we've all been taught to fear in our worst nightmares. The worst nightmare is now a fact on the ground.
3: <coughs> yeah,
2: These are the people, and you've you got to love this, these are the people that they're currently debating about whether or not to send weapons to to support. Right. The people they've been arming for the last five plus years. Right. Anyway, that's the contrived discussion in the media. You know, sh- Should we help these people?
0: Should we help these people? These are the al-Qaeda that you, <coughs> well, who told us to help. Listen, the reason why we're – that's a ridiculous thing. I mean it's, it's absolutely ridiculous for any government to support um, a revolution in a country. That's just a totally ridiculous idea. If everything that they say is true about Syria, which I highly doubt, then the responsibility for them is to send in official forces to take care of the problem, not to feed guns to a bunch of civilian Right-wing nutcases. Right-wing nutcases. That's not okay. Right. That's not okay for a government to do that, no matter how good the cause is, if they're going to go and interfere in that country, they need to take the army and go over there, kill everybody and come back, because that's something that the entire world has tacitly and implicitly kind of accepted. NATO has a bunch of forces. They all have flak jackets. They all have guns. They have tanks. They wear these white helmets with UN on them, everything. We accept it. We accept that they exist. They're supposed to go over there and kick people's asses and then come back. If you believe the official story, so like this whole like should we give the rebels weapons? No, you should never give rebels weapons. It's not the way modern politics is supposed to work. Yeah. Yeah,
1: supposed to work, but it's the irony in all of this is that um, in its most recent incarnation, Al Qaeda has kind of come full circle, uh, and it's now being used in Syria in the same way that it was originally used. In Afghanistan against the, against against the Soviets. Mm-hmm. You you know, they were our terrorists at the time, you know, um, and they were publicly supported. And yeah, look how well you know, that worked out. <laughs> told that it was a, told that they were on a, a God had they had God's blessing, and it's basically these guys that the guys that came out of that became the Al Qaeda that you know was the target of the war on terror and led to the invasion of Iraq, and the invasion of Afghanistan, and now they've. They're starting to turn around back to their original incarnation again, which is that uh, well, we can support these guys because they're doing some good now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, and no one has a problem with that apparently. You know, no one has a problem with the I fact do. that 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 the people, the groups that everybody after nine eleven hated and wanted the governments of the world to take down and kick ass, et cetera, and invade countries to get, are now being supported.
0: And supplied weapons.
1: And supplied we- they're being given weapons. Oh,
0: they're so not they're- going to turn those against us.
1: <laughs> they're giving weapons to the people who basically did na- allegedly did nine eleven. Now that's obviously a, a bullshit story because most people, I hope, understand that nine eleven was not carried out <clears throat> by any Muslims. Uh, unless, 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 the Muslim, unless the CIA allows Muslims into their. I
0: Never. No, I mean, they just they just period weren't for 19 people flying those planes. I mean, that's just a retarded. Nevertheless, those 19 people
2: and the other terror cells were recruited as part of the cover. Of course, yeah. To, to, to make real the reality of al-Qaeda. They had to have someone to talk about. They were sheep dipped. They were sheep dipped. They were literally brought to the U.S. Embassy in Saudi Arabia. The uh, former ambassador at the time has spoken out about this. He was he, – he couldn't believe it. He was being asked to railroad these people through, you know, the basic questions you're asked is, well, you, you want to go to the U.S.? You want a visa to go for something in the U.S.? Well, have you got a job there or have you got some contact what, there? What no, are you, no. What,
0: what are you planning to do there? I'm planning to bring war to the infidels. Oh, Right. Really? How are you going to do that? We will fly bombs into the, we'll find planes into the these buildings. Oh
2: yeah, very interesting. Okay, well we, we there's yeah. a room coming up free near Langley. We can we we can sit you in there. Uh, yeah, with we some have of a motel. <laughs> yeah there just, Would screened, you like
0: flying lessons too? <laughs>
1: there were screened for Manaka laughs as well. I said are good enough, you know. Um, I mean the
0: whole situation was ridiculous.
1: It was, but it's shock and awe, you know. It's it's attacking people at the at their most basic. Yeah. Uh, fear fear response Trans-marginal level. Marginal you know? inhibition, Pavlov. And they only need them to be in that state for a certain period of time, for right. a short period of time. It only lasts for a short period of time until they can mm-hmm. you know, launch the war, get the support for launching an invasion on the back of it.
0: Yeah, once the Leviathan starts moving, nobody's going to stand in its way. Can't right? really, you can't get in its way and you can't, can't put, it back, it, you know? put it back in its box. You know? yeah, that's the whole thing about what's going on in the world today. I mean, we sit here and we comment about the politics and, and this war is going on, but there's really, there's nothing to do about it. I mean, it's just going to move, you know? I mean, there is... So, so from a broad perspective,
1: when we're talking, we're looking at Syria here um, and how it fits into the overall scheme and what the overall scheme or plan is. Um, well, they invaded Iraq, which is on Syria's border. They invaded, uh, invaded and occupied Iraq, invaded and occupied Afghanistan, which is on uh on, on the border, around uh, eastern border, border yeah. eastern border, and uh, and now Syria. So you're basically saying it's a classic pincer maneuver. <laughs> it kind of is. They're Nazis. No, I mean, well, it was the Russians who did that one more. It seems to me that, in a general sense, I don't know if they've lost the plot at this stage and they're just keeping going because well, we have started so we'll finish type thing, or whether well, they still have an original plan. But it seems to me that the original plan, in terms of the Middle East uh, and the U.S. Western forces. Uh, interest in the Middle East obviously was about resources and oil um but it was certainly maybe in the latter half of the twentieth century it morphed into this desire uh or the latter half of the second half of the of the twentieth century it morphed into this need for a new enemy you know and and yeah. the, they uh, you know their their interest in invading um and occupying and changing governments, regime change in the Middle East, was uh, to make sure that they that they could create this demon of radical Islam, you know, create the reality on the ground by getting rid of um, any secular. Well, the two the two kind of ideas dovetail in a way. They want access to the resources, and the best way to have access to the resources is to make sure that you have some kind of a despotic, fundy leader in in place because he is much more inclined. To control the population and do the bidding and you know make corrupt deals with the West than some kind of a progressive socialist leader that's actually interested in the welfare of 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 the people of the Middle East. So you know the two the two it serves both both purposes you know um, and I mean the U S and the Brits and all the empires have always throughout you know recent modern history anyway have found common cause with fundamentalist. In, in the case where religion was a serious concern, they found common cause with the fundamentalist leaders and groups, than far more than they have with uh, any kind of secular or you know progressive socialist groups. I mean, they they actively <coughs> fought against them, and that's what they're doing in Syria because Syria is, or was, a secular country. I mean, it was one of the few countries in the Middle East where Arabs Christians. Sorry, Muslims, Christians and Jews all lived fairly peaceably together. There wasn't any kind of major social uh, conflict or anything like that between those groups. And uh, certainly so in terms of uh, fitting the description of uh, a fundamentalist Islamic regime in terms of war and terror that the Americans or the Brits or whatever have to go and Uh, fight them over there so that they won't fight and we'll have to fight them back at home type of thing. Well, Assad and his government in Syria did not in any, by any stretch of the imagination, fit that profile. They fit it completely the opposite profile. They were the kind of government that if you take them at their word, you take the Western powers at their word, the kind of government that essentially the West should have wanted to maintain, to support in the Middle East. But they don't want that. Like Jason was saying, you basically turn it around on its head. What they say is pretty much 180 degrees from
2: the truth of the matter. The narrative is, we're doing this because we want to rid the world of extremists, Islamo-fascists, as Bush called them, mm-hmm. so we can have people we can, you know, who are reasonable are, people the, we can do the hell trade
0: with. What does that with. even mean? Well, Islamo-fascist. He's asking you to fill in the gaps, i.e. Does he even know what a fascist is? I mean, how can he be an Islamo-fascist? It's, it's such a, it's a well, his grandfather sure knew what a fascist was, yeah. and his grandfather was a fascist.
2: Uh, just, just, just do, do sit on that point for a moment so people understand, Syria was secular. That means it was like a Western modern country. You know, it would have had all the same flaws and all the same issues, blah, blah, blah. But it was, the the Muslim Brotherhood Well, was Just banned the, in that country of course, as yeah. soon as the... More or less, the current regime took control.
1: Well, people have heard of the term Baathist, right? Saddam. I'm
0: calling them a regime and start calling them a government because that's what they are. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's a government.
2: Exactly. I slipped. There's there. no
0: such word as regime. They what use the that. Fuck does that even they, mean? It's supposed to have bad connotation. It's supposed to have bad connotations, but they're a government. I mean, they could be a bad government. I was thinking regime
2: because there are obviously many governments who have come and gone since, but more or less, Syria is in its current era.
0: I mean, right now, America the same is model. a neoconservative regime or, you know, this sort of neocon kind of thing, you know?
2: Yeah, it's... Um... The Ba'athists.
1: Explain. Well, the, well, the... Sorry, I, I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry no. about that. Well, no, I mean, Ba'athists, people have heard of the Ba'athists ba- because Saddam was a Ba'athist. And, uh, you know, uh,
0: there was a lot of talk. There were only
1: two only two countries
0: that are, that are Ba'athists.
1: Uh, in the Middle East. uh, That word bath is Iraq and Syria.
0: Kind of sounds like a party that should show up in France.
1: Yeah, and they uh, they should take bath.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was so mean. I'm so sorry. I apologize profusely for that. To all the
1: French people? Uh, No? No, No, he's just apologizing to whoever. Okay, Uh, because there was a whole process of de-bathification in Iraq Mm -hmm. immediately after the... uh, so they switched the in showers? Yeah, it was the re-showerification, re-bathification. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because people assumed that was just getting rid of Saddam, getting rid of the, 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 the remnants yeah. of the Saddam regime. And getting rid- And they went as far as to stop anybody who had ever been a member of the Ba'ath Party in Iraq from from having a job. They will get kicked out of their job. School teachers, people who were just part, member of the party just because, like, you know, well, you just, like, ju- yeah. just join the party type thing because, you know, it's his own thing and, you know, you keep your head down and join the party. You know, it wasn't as bad as like communist Russia or anything like that, but the bath party was the real party and people joined it. Well, they joined it because they identified with it and, and liked it or, or whatever. They were, a lot of people were members of it and the bathification process in Iraq in 2004 under Paul Bremner was, um, was terrible because it basically really fed the insurgency and turned people against the Americans, ordinary people because... A large percentage of the population were a member of this party, and suddenly anybody who was a member of the party could not get, could not work. They were kicked out of all the jobs: school teachers, you know, you know, trash collectors. Everybody was was gone, you know. And eventually, a year or two later, tr- overturned that, you know, because they realised what a horrible idea it was, you know. Yeah. But what the bad society um, in S- Syria and Iraq it goes back to the 1940s, and it was basically. A sec. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who. His name wasn't The name. Remember, the name of the guy who started. His name
0: was Tub. It
1: was. It was. Uh, a movement that sought enlightenment or Renaissance, and the rebirth of Arab culture, uh, Arab values, and Arab society. It's. Uh, it supported the creation of single-party states and rejects political pluralism, in an unspecified for an unspecified unspec- length of time. The Ba'ath Party theoretically uses an unspecified amount of time to develop an enlightened Arabic society. It is based on principles of Arab nationalism, pan-Arabism, Arab socialism, as well as social progress. And it is a secular ideology. They support socialist economics to a varying degree and support public ownership over the heights of the economy, but opposes the confiscation of private property. So it's basically about... You know, sup- creating or promoting.
0: communistic.
2: Well, it's a, uh, that's
1: what people might see it as, but really what it was is it, it was pretty much similar to the kind of things in socialist states in in, in Europe and Western Europe, like France, for example. Socialism. They wanted uh, a similar. They wanted progress, modernization, and um, and they were secular. I secular, i.e. They were not Islamic fundies. And the, and these two countries. So that's what. Uh, Iraq and Syria, that's what the Americans were doing. They were trying to get rid of anybody, and what they're doing now in Syria, trying to get rid of anybody or any group or any government governing group and anybody in the country who supports the ideas of progress, modernization, secularism, i.e. non fundamental <coughs> Islam uh, in, an Ara, in an Arab world. Well, so that, well, that's I'm, what the Americans are fighting against. That's, what they're, <coughs> that's who they're overthrowing. That's who they overthrew in Libya. Gaddafi was exactly the same. Mm -hmm. They've been going around the world, overthrowing, not going around the world, going into the Middle East and uh, the Maghreb and stuff, overthrowing Arab governments that want to be modern, progressive, non-fundamentalist, Islamic, and more like the Western world. Now that, if you can't really get any more uh, opposite, to the, you, can't, you can't get it, yeah. it's, it's to, to what they claim they're doing. They're doing exactly the opposite of yeah. what they claim to do. But, of course, they create the reality on the ground of there being a fundi Islam threat or problem in these countries to America, i.e. they're trying to take away our freedoms by you know flying planes in the buildings and stuff, uh, or that's what they might do, again, by actually getting a bunch of these fundis, training them, arming them, and putting them into these countries and saying, look, see, we told you they were there. And they're using them. It, it, it's so it's so, so, opposite of the truth of what they're saying. It, I mean, it really, they really go really far down this road of doing exactly the opposite in so many different ways of what they claim to do. You know, not only are they overthrowing non-fundamentalist Arab, progressive Arab, Arab regimes, but they are supporting the fundies and trying to put them in power in these countries. So you really, you can't get any more, any more of a complete Contradiction? Are the, they exactly the opposite of what they claim to be doing?
0: Well, from my limited of understanding of the whole situation in the Middle East, this kind of thing has been going on for a long time since the fall of the Ottoman Empire kind of thing, you know, when they started cutting up and, and splitting up the Middle East. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of like a divide and conquer thing. And and I think it actually like I don't think it's about oil. I really don't. I don't think that it's well, about the control of resources either. I I think it's a religious situation. I think that there there you know some seriously fundamentalist Christians who are trying to bring about the the uh, the apocalypse. There, you know, they want the
1: well. You have to you have to wonder about whether whether religion is actually a, a real factor or whether it's just being used. Um, Well, I'm not talking about
0: modern. No, I'm not talking. We're talking about different religions. I mean, there is there's like this huge body of evidence that deep in the bowels of governments and militaries, there are these groups of people that have this really weird religious series of beliefs, and they go through all these weird rituals. And there's all this sort of like anecdotal evidence surrounding it, and a lot of times it's attributed like Satanism and things like that. But I don't think it is. You know, Mm. I think it's these people that are like secret society. Uh, type of situation. I mean, that, of course, it sounds completely insane. You know, I'm, I'm not going to use the I word because I don't think I don't believe in that crap, and it's not Rosy crucians or Illuminati or any of that BS. But I do think that what informs their policies and their ideas and their plans is some sort of weird, twisted religious ideology. Because it's not. I don't think it's about oil. I mean, I just don't think it's about oil.
1: Well, I think that may, might be one factor, but. Yeah. You know, uh, I'd say there are various different factors and in terms of the motivation for this kind of thing, I mean, who gives the ultimate orders, you know? Um, There are various levels of... of People involved in the planning and orchestration of this, and the people at the very top, what do they think? They need one rush. They have their their, yeah. their ideology. The people down below, you have to explain to them in a slightly different way right. to get them on board, like the military generals and stuff, right? Or even the the yeah, or yeah. even the if you want to get the corporate people on board and stuff, you yeah. might have to sell them the idea of oil. You get the you know you get the backing right. of yeah. big oil companies and stuff, and say, listen, we want to do this, and guess what? You can get access to oil, and they're like, okay, we'll do that. Yeah.
0: I mean, like, this kind of stuff has really been going on steadily since we brought over all those Nazi scientists with Project Paperclip, you know? And it's just, just it was such a su- suspicious situation that all those Nazi scientists were really into, like, a cult BS and they were a bunch of wannabe Illuminati kind of people. And, I mean, there's no reason to think that they didn't continue that kind of weirdness when they got over here. That's just my 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 crazy theory that's my, that's my crazy conspiracy theory well there is one society,
2: the Muslim Brotherhood that I'm really really suspicious about because here's a group that is banned in Syria and has been for decades um, who's more or less whose man, whose representative recently came to power in Egypt post-revolution and who have a long history, <clears throat> a long history of ties with British intelligence, MI6. Yeah. And it does make you wonder, you know, this kind of secret society element. I mean, they're nothing that secret. They're a public organisation, and they pretend to be religious, and yet constantly get involved in the politics.
3: Yeah.
2: And I do wonder what what do they believe? Well, this part of the world is where the three. The three big monotheistic yeah. religions are right. born, right? right? Islam, Christianity, Judaism.
0: Right. And I would and, argue that the India is pretty close where Buddhism came from. We were arguing that earlier. It's, that whole region is just like a religion factory. Yeah. Now, are they religious
2: people? Mm, I don't know. I mean, when, you, when, you, look at, when you look at when you look what's done in the name of the religious fundamentalists in in Syria right now. They are engaged in the most extreme forms of barbarism. They're just
0: animals. They're animals. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not religious. They're being
2: religious. They are
0: extremely materialistic. Right. But then, I mean, so is modern religion. I mean, Christianity is fundamentally a mater- materialist religion. I mean, Judaism is a very materialist religion. All of them are, for the most part, materialist religions. It's all about bodily re- resurrection. You go to heaven and you sit next to Jesus and he pats you on the shoulder. Or you get like 70 virgins or. <laughs> All these different things, or if if you do a really good job, you know you, God will make you the great nation and you'll rule over all the countries of the world. That's that, that's what all all of those religions promise something completely physical, bodily resurrection, bunch of virgins. I mean, if you're incorporeal in a spirit, how are you going to enjoy you know seventy virgins? I mean, well, each one of them, has, obviously each one of them is. has their Messiah
2: coming down at the end times when during there's war Armageddon. and chaos during Armageddon. Yeah. Is this situation unfolding not Armageddon? Right. Yeah. Creating the facts on the ground, what to fulfill each of their own v- versions of the prophecy. I mean, for I think, for, for Muslims, it's the return of Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, but,
1: yeah, but the, like
3: like Jesus,
2: Jesus said, like the whole idea of heaven and
1: stuff and spirituality for these people is very physical. It's very materialistic. So for them you know, the fulfillment of a of a, of a prophecy would also be material. I. e. they would their idea of you know of, of a heaven on earth, the ushering in of the new kingdom and stuff is basically what it what it plays out as on the ground is basically them getting to, you know, lord it over all of the world. You know, they as the as the elite getting to Lord of Ado- they don't need to go to heaven, they don't want to die, they wanna have their heaven on earth, which is basically getting to dominate and control and exploit as many people as possible. That's their idea of heaven, that's the psychopathic idea of heaven. Yep. You know, and and this idea the in, in mainstream religion of heaven and the reward and all that kind of stuff is completely psychopathic because it's got nothing to do with spirituality whatsoever. It's nothing nothing to do with real spirituality.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it even goes as far as to be a literal interpretation of like the Christian or Judaism or or, or Islam. I think that these guys kind of have their own personal interpretation of of the religions. They they, they think they're in on some sort of occult secret. You know, I don't I don't think that they really, 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 truly, deeply believe it. I think for them it's kind of fun. Exactly. I think like when you're so rich and powerful, I don't think that you have much else to do. I mean, when you can buy like nine hundred thousand Ferraris. And no problem and you can buy paintings for like thirty million bucks a pop. Yeah,
1: it's their idea of oh, what, what are
0: you gonna do on a Sunday night, you know? What's oh.
1: spirituality for a psychopath? Yeah. Spirituality, for, a, for
0: a rich psychopath.
1: Well, it's being rich and yeah. being being powerful, right? Yeah. that they they get their, their spiritual their the height of their spirituality is physical jollies, basically. And it can ne- they can never be satiated. They'll always want more and more and more and more. So it's not spirituality at all, you know? And um we yeah. were just talking about this earlier on and the the idea that um difference differences between peoples around the world for normal people would ever be a cause for one group of people to want to go and attack and kill another group of people is utterly ridiculous from a normal human perspective. I mean for for most of human history, for large portions of human history, people uh, interacted with each other, you know, going back two thousand years, you know, and people, maritime peoples and stuff, they travelled in boats from their from their part of the land down the coast for a few days, a week, or whatever. Got to a different place, found a, a different group of people, uh, and established ties with them. so that they were, you know, doing things differently, and it was all clear They maybe even, you know, exchanged. If they found a different kind of idea of spirituality, they would say, okay, that's kind of cool. That's kind of similar to ours. Because surely, if we're all the same, if human beings are all the same, then surely we all have a common spirituality. Right? Yeah. Maybe we're not all the same but surely if we are all the same in a very fundamental way, then there's only one spirituality for all human beings if they're all made of the same stuff. Any higher ideas are the same for everybody. Maybe that's not the case but certainly in terms of psychopaths, they are the ones who exploit these differences between people and get people to see those differences as something evil and have to, you know, wipe out these other people who are different from us. But that's totally unnatural for a normal human being. And maybe what you're seeing there in in that exploitation of the differences is you're seeing some kind of unconscious, uh, visceral understanding within the psychopathic mind of a difference between them yeah. and normal humanity. Right. And they are the ones who want to kill normal... Because any idea of difference is really in them right. versus the rest of normal humanity. And they impose that on normal humanity and try and get normal humanity to fight each other or contrive differences that are not natural to them. You notice what
0: they do, though, is that they project onto the other group of people all those attributes that we would attribute to psychopaths, to themselves. The things that they're doing, they make it look like, they basically pit it on the other people and, you know, of course we're going to go after them, of course we're going to want to fight them, and it's not that they're different. It's more like they're doing all this bad stuff. But that's the bad stuff that they're doing. I mean, they talk about this guy's regime suppressing peaceful protests. What happened with Occupy Wall Street? Exactly. Yeah. How many peaceful protests are suppressed in Europe and the United States? I mean, it's a pot calling well, the kettle black.
1: Well, you, you know, whenever it's, it's even reported, I mean, people people try and have tried to in the media and stuff over the past couple of years have tried to demonize Assad and saying that, you know, he he's a brutal dictator and stuff. He could be a douchebag. I don't know. Well, I'm not saying he's a government ruler. He's Am a dictatorial I, ruler and his clan are dictatorial he's ruler. He's a douchebag
0: by definition in my opinion.
1: Well, you know. I in, disagree. In, in the, I, I kind of disagree in the sense that in the modern age, you can't have anything too perfect. You know, I mean, you can strive for something for perfection, but nowhere on this planet is perfect. Certainly not the U.S. or the West. And. The, the things they come up with to demonize Assad with is that, you know, political prisoners basically say he's got political prisoners. If people And the disagree U.S. With doesn't? It. Well, not only in the U.S. doesn't. What about but Guantanamo Bay? Obviously, there's political prisoners all over the U.S., but worse than that, usually what happens in the U.S. and in Western countries is that when you have a political dissident, for example, a journalist right. who is exposing something about the government or saying something about the government – that the government doesn't want exposed. What very often, and has repeatedly happened in the U.S., is that guy is killed secretly yeah. and quietly.
0: And now and the government has the power to do it legally.
1: Well, exactly. And because but because Assad does it or someone else does it, does exactly the same thing, but doesn't kill, does, not exactly the exact same thing, doesn't kill them, just puts them in prison.
3: Yeah.
1: He's the bad guy, and because he does it kind of semi-publicly or you can actually, right. you, you can hear about it, you hear about it. Suddenly it's held up as the brutal, evil dictator. But in the U.S., far worse is being done because they're killing political dissidents. They're killing people who disagree with the government. But they do it secretly and quietly so that
0: people never know. Like they they have have the technology. Assad obviously never read Machiavelli, you know, Mm. whereas the American government is very Machiavellian. They never appear to be doing anything bad. Mm. They get other people, secret people, the CIA to do it, In a dark corner somewhere, they fly you off to some prison in another country and get you tortured. Yeah, About
2: those political prisoners in both Syria and Libya, when the war on terror was launched post 9-11, both Gaddafi and Assad cooperated with the United States and imprisoned some of the people that the U.S. was saying are terrorists. They also cooperated in extraordinary rendition, having them sent either into Syria or from Syria to be tortured in some black site, and then ultimately end up in Guantanamo. Oh. These people invariably were actually extremist nutcases. cases mm. when there, Libya was attacked. <clears throat> yeah, there were two groups of people there were huge amounts of prisoners who were released, and yeah. who were they? They were all the nut jobs. They were released by the. They were the outsider. They were the ones who had been rounded up yeah. to support the war on terror.
1: Exactly. Well, you see, what they want these people out on the streets. The Americans want these people out on the streets because they are their their proxy foot soldiers to overthrow this secular regime, secular progressive Arab regime. They want these people out on the streets. So they kind of say, <clears throat> say about Gaddafi and about Assad, they say, well, he's got political prisoners. No, these people are nutcases who want to impose a fundamentalist Islamic, Islamic state in the country. And because Assad and Gaddafi wanted a secular progressive regime, he said, no, you're going to jail. Also, the other group of people that he had in jail were people that had been uh, were agents of the West who had been infiltrated into the country to try and sow discord. So, like, you're the ruler of a country, and you see these foreign agents coming in, and they're starting to stir things up and sow lies uh, and, and you know, start demonstrations and whip people up and, and spread lies about the government and stuff. What are you going to do? I mean, and they're foreigners, basically. So what are you going to do? You're going to put them in jail? You're going to say, listen, you're, you're, you're actually trying to destabilize our country. You're trying to bring it down to the level of... You're trying to ferment, essentially, some kind of a, a military conflagration in our country which will be to the extreme detriment of the local population, uh the civilian population as has happened in Syria. So he sees this happening and he sees this as a plan because it's always been the plan, it's gone. That that's the plan they followed over and over again. It's like you don't have to be a genius to work out if you're a leader of a country, you don't have to be a genius to work out that, that is what that is their modus operandi, right? That's the way they work. So you see this, this happening. What do you do? When you put them in jail because they're a threat to national security.
2: Yeah, a, threat to a, the country an threat to threat. A, the yeah. real
1: threat to the civilian population of your country. So you put them in jail, but unfortunately, when you do that, you're held up in the in the Western press as being this evil dictator who won't allow dissent. Well, you know, <laughs> hang on a minute. You know, actually, there's something um, there's something about the the U.S. government actually that you're not allowed to do.
2: As you're looking for that, I'm gonna. I, I wanted to say. I want to say something here. Right. I would advise anyone wondering about Assad's character, and you know, genuinely interested in discerning right. one from the other, to take Jason's advice and not believe a word your government says.
0: And don't believe a word that I say either. <laughs> I, I don't really. I don't know if the guy. I, I, no, well,
2: Jason, well, I'll just finish yeah, up. Yeah, go on. ahead. I'm I'm saying this I don't know the guy either. But I've heard him speak right and seen what he's written over the years and my god, he's either an awesome actor or he actually knows what he's talking about. He is plain spoken. Uh he's frank. He's saying exactly what we're seeing here tonight is really going on in Syria. And it, all his words are being twisted in the Western media to saying, "Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? He's an evil, bloody dictator. <laughs> he's, I, he's a psychopath. Right? That's yeah. what
0: they're insinuating. Yeah. Right. Psychopaths are insinuating that he's a psychopath." Well, here's the thing that, that that strikes me about the whole situation. I don't remember the name of the guy. It's not a gothicles, but But <laughs> I mean, Niccolo Machiavelli, when he wrote The Prince, he writes about this guy who decides he's going to take over this country or this this province somewhere. And he realizes that he doesn't want to look bad to the people. So he goes out and he finds the worst, most murderous judge he can. I mean, this guy is just bad. And he puts him in charge of doing all the prosecutions in the area. And this guy goes through, he chops everybody's heads off, all this stuff. People are up in arms. the guy comes in, he says, oh, I didn't know he was so highly recommended. And then he arrests the guy and chops his head off. And then he killed all the people he wanted to kill all of the citizens that he wanted to get rid of, and he looked like a saint. And of course Machiavelli held this guy up as saying, this is the strategy. If you need to kill a whole bunch of people or you need to do something bad, you get the most criminal person and you put them in a position of power, mm-hmm. let them abuse it, and then you come in and rescue everybody from them, and then you've killed all the people you wanted to kill, and mm-hmm. now you come off smelling like rose. Yeah. And that's what I'm the not...
3: U.S. does. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But, but the thing uh, that I was going to say was, that it's interesting to note that... <clears throat> Uh, in, in terms of America's support of the so-called opposition in Syria, which includes criminal terrorists and foreign fighters that are trying to affect regime change, uh, it underscores a really stark hypocrisy in terms of U.S. law and the kind of wonderful uh, society and uh, form of government and law that the U.S. has. Because According, and leader, yeah, according to U.S. federal law, and specifically, if you're interested, it's 18 U.S.C. 2385 on advocating the overthrow of government. It says that advocating the overthrow of government, or, or which is organizing or help or attempt to organize any society, group or assembly of persons who teach, advocate or encourage the overthrow or destruction of the government of the United States or the government of any political subdivision they're in by force of violence. Bear serious consequences including fines and prison sentences up to twenty years. So in US law, you are not allowed on pain of twenty years and probably, you know In prison for the rest of your life. You're on pain of prison for the rest of your life, you're not allowed to overthrow the US government. But the US government is allowed to overthrow those laws, those same laws that they hold so sacrosanct and, sacrosanct and so wonderful, they do, they they don't apply to other countries.
2: I think as a signatory to International law and precedent that was established well, up that is to 100 right. years ago. The US regime, can I use that term here, it 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 is, is fully aware that legally you are not allowed to do this. That is why they contrived and gone to these lengths what? to, in Iraq's case, present a case for uh, a legal justification. Oh, he had weapons of mass destruction. Which he didn't. Which he didn't. And now in Syria, similar. Oh, he's got chemical weapons and he's using them. Blah blah blah. That's why they go to these lengths, in the back of the mind and or the legal advisors tugging in their sleeves, mm-hmm. saying, you know, to actually. They don't care about the legal. In legality. the world, international law exists, and
1: they don't care about international law. They, they haven't don't. for a long time. What they what they what they've turned to uh, since the, since 11 basically is the moral application or the application of moral law, essentially, that isn't written down anywhere, but it's basically, you know, he's a bad man. That was one of the arguments. Yeah. Ultimately, when they couldn't pin it on anything else because they were exposed as liars about all the other justifications, they turned around and said, well, he was a bad man, and we had to get him. So, bad man, that's what it comes down to. That's, that's yeah. what they're left with, the idea that, I mean, that's what you're meant to pin, all of the death and, and slaughter, murder, in Iraq and Afghanistan and elsewhere over the past ten They're or twelve moralism. years, is they were bad people. Is that good enough? I mean, can
0: yeah. that? Will you accept that as an I mean, argument in a court? Psychopath. Only a you psychopath would do that, though, because of course they have no concept of morality. You can't, you can't murder people for a moral reason. There's no moral justification for murder. Now, there, there's there's a pragmatic one. You know, okay, let's say you have a serial killer going through some town and stuff like that, and he's murdering and raping a whole bunch of women and children, and you decide. And you're a cop and you, and you shoot the guy, right? That's a good thing in a certain sense, but you can't ever sit there and say I was morally right to do it because you're not morally right. A murder is fundamentally immoral. Killing somebody is immoral. Now, it, it's never a moral act. You should weigh the, the consequences. You should weigh the, what's going, what you're doing. You should have some sort of thought about it, but you are not a good person for killing somebody. You can't pat yourself on the back and look in the mirror and go, Yeah, it had to be done. I'm so awesome. I killed that guy dead. Oh, yeah, it was good. I mean, you're a sick person if you think, if you're happy and feel any kind of pleasure or satisfaction after killing somebody. That's not healthy. You mm. should feel, Wow, I, I'm sorry. I, I hate that I was forced into that position. I hate that I had to do it in order to protect myself or family or my community or whatever it is. You know, you should weigh that with conscience. But these people have no conscience, so they can actually they, – they have no understanding of morality, so they can think that there's such a thing as a moral killing or a moral murder or a moral execution, and it's not. It's fundamentally immoral. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. Sorry. Yeah, and uh,
2: President Obama would agree with everything you, you've just said and, and then he and then to say, the say drugs, to you, right, word, okay. but look at that problem over there. Look, my hands are clean of it. We need to go in there and help those people who are being immorally slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And he'll say it with a straight face, while his own mercenaries yeah. are going, going around cutting kids' heads off, but, eating people's hearts. Yeah, posting videos of it. That's on who they're YouTube.
1: supporting. I mean, you can't get any more obvious or or transparent or clear to people than that. If people want to sit up and see what's going on, it's basically the U.S., Britain, France, and whoever else, Israel, and these crony. Uh, client Arab states like Qatar and Saudi Arabia are supporting and funding and arming people yeah. who advocate and practice the cutting off of people's heads and cutting their hearts out and eating them and recording it on video and putting it on YouTube. The, that's what it comes down to. That's basically the, well, yeah. the the final kind of line on it. That's what. And if you support uh, the U.S. government what it's doing, that's what you're supporting as well.
2: Have you seen this video on YouTube? Um... It's like a tiny little group, supposedly a demonstration with some of these so-called rebels in Syria. And in the background, they're all, you know, dressed like terrorists are supposed to dress. And they're waving the Al-Qaeda flag, the black flag of Al-Qaeda.
0: The black flag. Oh, yeah. the jolly roger on it. Raise the jolly roger. (laughs)
2: Basically what it is. Anyway, they're singing this. I've seen a few videos of this tune. I think it's like an anthem they've come up with. In this video, they have given a microphone to a child of not more than six or seven, hoisted them up on someone's shoulders, and they're all humming along to it as well. And someone has translated the lyrics to the song. And one of them goes, And then we destroy the World Trade Center and watch the towers fall to dust. Hooray! These
1: and are hello. the people
2: the, US, the CIA is paying to cause mayhem bloody mayhem in syria
1: what what are people going to do about it here's the problem what are people going to do about it? The, the, the facts on the ground are clear right what do people know about syria or about assad they know nothing about it all they all they know is what the media is telling them and the media is telling them complete and utter lies bullshit fabricated nonsense right that is provably untrue if they just would take five minutes and look it up assad what is it essentially a dictator but obviously one person doesn't run the, run the country, the same way Obama is just a puppet head, Assad was largely just a puppet head as well, obviously you didn't have a, a fairly large infrastructure in any country to run the country. So this group of people had been in power for, you know, they make reference to the family ties going back 40 years yeah. or whatever but obviously things change over 40 years but you know yeah. the bottom line was that Syria up until a couple of years ago was the most, if not the most after Iraq was destroyed. Uh, progressive, secular, peaceful and pretty cool places in the Middle East to go and most, the vast majority of Syrian people were fairly happy they may, they may have you know, had kind of ideas about change and you know, a bit more progressiveness a bit more modernization a bit more, you know, whatever but generally speaking as we've just shown there were no massive anti-Assad demonstrations it was all fabricated by rent-a-crowd uh, sponsored by the CIA so that was the situation a couple of years ago until uh, the CIA started to sponsor this regime change business, which has resulted in up to 100,000 deaths of civilians and the destruction of the country. And this In is front to, of a live studio audience. In front of a live studio audience, two, uh, at the hands of fundamentalist Muslim Islamic nut jobs. Who supposedly the US was out to get after 9-11 because they did nine eleven and now they're supporting them in the overthrow of a secular progressive uh, Arab country and uh, and facilitating them in their While butchering butchering
0: songs mocking nine eleven yes oh.
1: and facilitating them in the butchering and murder of a hundred thousand Syrian civilians that is precisely what has happened and what the US and the Brits. And the French, etc., have done and have sponsored, and they do not give a shit. And who's who's going to support that? Hands up, anybody out there listening, or anybody else in the world? Hands up if you if you understood that as a situation. And it's pretty simple. It's not very complicated. It's kind of prosaic, you know. Um, who's going to support that? And if you're a normal human being, obviously you're not. So, what are you going to do about it? It's utterly. It's just so outrageous and ridiculous. It's uh, it leaves me kind of speechless. For, so I mean, I mean, there's
0: nothing you're gonna do about it, you know. I
1: mean, people just have to stop supporting it at least. And like Lisa Giuliani, who is, uh, has been writing recently about the support our troops uh, on SOT, uh, and has had to write a follow-up article because of the the response she got. The uh, not from a lot of people, not very supportive response. Fan mail. in terms of, <laughs> Fan mail style. Anti, anti-fan mail. Well,
0: uh, do, basically,
1: people saying, how dare you say that you shouldn't support our troops? And she's trying to make the fairly simple point that, listen, if your troops are engaged in or working for a psychopathic government that is slaughtering innocent people around the world and your troops are the foot soldiers of that, however deluded they are or conned or whatever, or however well-intentioned they are, uh, you, you shouldn't support them. You know, uh, that's simply, it's pretty, pretty simple, you know. But apparently a lot of people can't get that idea of support our troops no matter what. And the troops aren't the same as the government. Well, the troops are doing the bidding of of the government. And if Mm. the government is engaged in crimes against
2: humanity, then so are the troops. So don't support them. I remember conversations with people in the run of the Iraq war. They were with me the whole way in that they thought this was wrong. There's no... Legal basis for it, no moral basis for And then it was apparent it was going to happen anyway. And they came around and said, Well, it's, it's a done deal. We've got to support the troops. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they were English, so there was a natural I mean, inclination I, to do it. But I couldn't believe it. I said, But, but you were with me until, until this point, and now you're going to say, but They're going to be there. They're going to be in danger. So I'll support them.
1: What's wrong with people? I don't, know. don't support your troops and start protesting against your government for sending the troops because just accept the fact, anybody who's got a, a member of your family in the military, accept the fact that that member of your family who has joined the military and appears to be going along with government policy doesn't, appears not to have the intellectual capacity to understand the nuances of the situation and that the, it's not very complicated, but he still can understand the idea that if your government is sending you off to commit war crimes basically and to, to you know contravene international law, etc., uh, he can't understand that, that you shouldn't that you shouldn't go along with that. If he can't understand that simple idea and feels compelled because he's been programmed by the military to go along with whatever superiors tell him, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to stage an intervention or something, you know, because uh, he's part of a cult. Uh, he's been mind programmed by a cult, and you know you need to get. Uh, Somebody to come along and kidnap him and put him in a closet and deprogram him. You know what I mean? Because he's he's, no. he's a danger to
0: himself and to other people all around the world. Because I have, I have to admit that I, I I really fundamentally disagree with that entire line of argument. Because I I am part of the support your troops your troops crowd. Unfortunately, um, I don't think that you should. I I don't think that you should support support in the sense of like you know go out there and be like, yeah, everything you're doing is okay. I mean, it's one thing to be critical of the government. And it's one thing to even be critical of what the military does. But like, say for instance, there were stories during the Vietnam War of, you know, these vets coming home and there would be like protests and supposedly like people were like spitting on them and calling them murderers and stuff like that. And and I used to work with a Vietnam vet who had, you know, gone into the war. He was 17 years old from the backwoods of Arkansas missing most of his teeth they were just taking in anybody he was had no education whatsoever and they sent him off to there and you know he did a lot of horrible things and he got shot up and he had this huge scar all down his body where he got shot up and he came home and he said i didn't understand you know what was going on i thought i was doing right and you know then they tell me i'm doing wrong and and i and i didn't really know and he was he was he was a decently hearted person i mean this is a guy who would after work You know, he would get out a bottle of whiskey, he would get shit faced drunk and he would cry constantly about the horrors of the whole situation. It's the only time he would really talk about what happened in the war was when he was like really drunk, you know. So my experience of him was, you know, and I went to to school with a lot of guys who were like, you know, older, who were coming back to school for education, who had been in Vietnam and was sitting there talking to him, and they all most of them were anti government. Most of them said, you know, we were really Really fucked over. We were fooled. We mm-hmm. didn't know what it was about. We didn't understand. We were were teenagers, basically, and so like supporting your troops in the sense of like getting out there and rah 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 and everything they do is right is obviously retarded.
1: Well, that's what we're talking about.
0: But. But I think that a lot of people, especially in the conspiracy and the nine eleven truth movement and all the stuff we're talking about, this they go too far in the other direction where they start. They're all psychopathic murders and they're they're killing babies and all this different stuff. And, and I I mean, there's this huge problem of like suicide. You know, twenty two vets are committing suicide per day. All these people are not heartless, soulless people. No,
1: well, so if you support you know, your troops, you you want to, and your troops as a, your troops, <clears throat> the troops as a member of your family. Then you want to spare them yeah. Okay. and you love them. You want to spare them that kind of a situation. You want to spare them obviously, obviously. from committing suicide or any kind of trauma. Okay. So you cannot support them if they are you need have to been programmed focus
0: on into guilty parties.
1: Yeah, you know? exactly. But what if, the, like I said, they've been kind of programmed. What if you have a family member who's a member of the military and he, for whatever reason, like I said, maybe because of the military programming that he's gone through, et cetera, he can't see what's waiting for him when he right. goes off and he comes back. So, I mean, surely in that sense, you should support them by trying to not let them get sucked into this, there was this abusive cult
0: guy. What was his off to the war. The, 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 the Navy sniper
1: who wrote this book. Oh, yeah. Mick, uh, oh,
0: what was his name? I can't remember his name. Something. And I, I watched Mac... an interview with him. Right. Mm-hmm. And he sat there and he was like, yeah, what I did was right. And, you know, I was sitting there looking at him and I was like, this guy is not all right. You know, I mean, he was nervous as hell. I mean, you could see that there was this really kind of like, yeah, everything I did was correct. It was and you could see that he kind of like felt obligated to say that kind of stuff. But these people, man, it's not it's not a black and white situation. Absolutely. I think I, I think you can say, you can criticize the military. And I don't agree with the people who react like you don't support our troops when you criticize the military. But at the same time, I feel that a lot of people criticize the military in the wrong ways. They say, oh, a soldier's a psychopath, blah, blah, blah. And I, and no, I think l- with that, I think
2: I think you're conflating judgment of who a person is with judgment of the choices a person has made. Right. Sure. Okay. Now, you take some poor hick who's got himself into something he had no idea,
3: mm.
2: and he comes out of it and realizes he's done wrong. I mean, that's not a judgment on him. No. You know, I think the the point we're trying to make here. Well, that, I understand the point you're the, the, the banner, everything that comes under the banner of support your troops is right. lie down and take it. Yeah. We're going to keep doing this. That's wrong. And you're going to be behind our policy. That's wrong. Till the bitter end is wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, someone just said on, on the chat there that… Um, you, can
0: criti- you should be criticizing policymakers. You can criticize the generals. But, you know, that Marine you know, out there, I mean, unless he's committing a crime. I and mean, when they're committing a crime, yeah, you should say, look, that's fucked up. Like those Marines that were peeing on corpses. Well, technically,
2: every single action, every single one of them, is committing a crime because the war in Iraq is illegal.
0: Yeah, but they are not committing a
2: crime. Yes, they are. No, they're not. Nuremberg, the precedent was set that "Oh, I was just following orders" is not a defense. That's
0: that's that's, true. Now we can argue the the
2: morals of it, but that's that's the legal position.
0: No, it would have to. If it ever came to soldiers were not executed or put in prison. No, they weren't. Nazi soldiers were let let off. And I mean the Nazi soldiers were forced to by their generals and by the political people and by everyone around them to swear allegiance to Hitler. And all the generals, Guderian, all of them right now and Rommel, they really didn't like Hitler all that much and they thought he was a fucktard most of the time. But they felt obligated and they were put into that position and then they felt felt that they had to carry it through. Now, I mean
2: if you came across someone mm -hmm. who was formerly a soldier and or a member of the Nazi party, what would your immediate reaction be? Reaction B?
0: Yeah. Um, most of the soldiers in that war were not operating concentration camps. It's not like they had them like every five miles. No, but you would you know, agree, I mean, you would agree that – They were normal soldiers. The social convention
2: is to revile them. Of course. That is the that is the, the lesson that history has taught. Right, right. Like,
1: I think I think that we're talking here about a hypothetical situation where any of the soldiers, for example, that were involved in the Iraq invasion because it was officially illegal should all be uh, <clears throat> tried in court as Absolutely as, not. as party to, to a war crime um, no. or party to a crime against humanity. But um, some of them probably should be tried, not necessarily in that overarching way, but for their p- specific actions that they took. Right. But the other people who just went there, I mean, I I would I would say that they, most of them should be let off, uh, or should not be convicted for anything like that on the basis of diminished responsibility because I really do think that, as the military says, you know, break them down to build them up. Yep. They have been brainwashed, and you know, if you have someone who's been brainwashed, and they, they like like the, the the guy that you know that was in the Vietnam vet yeah. who only realised afterwards. Right. I mean, there has to be some consideration given, and each case would have to be taken on its own merits. You know, you can't put a place a blanket uh, kind of condemnation against all of them but you can avoid that situation from ever coming about by making sure that none of your troop members of your family who are troops or soldiers ever go to I mean, on, on one of these awesome. on one of these wars like that would be the best case scenario that's that's the solution to it I don't mean, let them go
0: anywhere the military is not really an opt-in opt-out I and mean, once you opt in you're kind of in it's not so easy to get out without doing something wrong you know i hmm. mean you, you don't you don't you don't really leave the military so much as you get kicked out, kind of. You know, I mean, it's not like it's not like you can just quit. Oh, decided I didn't really want to be in this war. I mean, you know, quitting on the on, on the battle lines is, is a defense that sometimes they will shoot you for. Yeah, and they used to in, in World not War Two. You yeah. know, I mean, so these people are in a very difficult position for cowardice. Yeah,
1: but uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very difficult. I I think that having, it's, a, it's a it's a problem that doesn't really seem to have an. You have a solution. less
0: in common with the policymakers than you do with the soldiers. The soldiers are people from your hometown. Yeah. They're poor people, they're uneducated, they're people who are sucked in, drawn into the military and sent over there to do that stuff, and you have something in common with them. They're being duped as much as you and everyone around you has been. They are victims yeah. as well in this. Now, there, are, of course, of obviously them. are psychos who are going around yeah. killing and having Profiles. parties. Yeah. And, and those people should be prosecuted. But the soldiers, as this whole amorphous mass mm-hmm. in the military, mm-hmm. are not an evil bunch of horrible psychopaths. No, but I think,
1: and I think our point is that <coughs> people should not support our troops in the sense of you know, backing them. Right. In, in, just... in 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 going off to war for a psychopathic agenda for the for the agenda of a psychopathic leader, I mean, you should try and say, listen, this isn't good. It's not going to be good for you or for anybody. Don't right. do it. So in that sense, don't support our troops right. in 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 doing that kind of thing. But you can support them as people, right? Obviously, but like I said, and like we I think we've just concluded that it's a, it's an impossible situation that doesn't really have a solution right, right. now. Nobody's going to change anything, except there may be. An element that can change things, and that unfortunately may be required. Because, and here's a little example of it. There's a news report uh, from just a couple of days ago. Freak Afghan hailstorm damages 80 U.S. helicopters. Helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> so, in the absence of uh, people power being able to do anything about the about the psychopathic rampaging and military invasions going on around the world. Uh, Maybe Mother Nature could step in and, you know, Mm. because this story is a freak hailstorm in Afghanistan damaged more than 80 U.S. military helicopters wrecking rotor blades, shattering windows and grounding aircraft for weeks. Golf ball sized hailstones struck Kandahar Airfield on April. This is a couple of months. It's not a couple of months old, but it happened a couple couple of months ago on April 23rd, triggering triggering an emergency operation to get the helicopters back in the air (laughs) as soon as possible. Uh, the U.S. military described how the sudden, unprecedented hailstorm has badly dented the sheet metal skins of the helicopters. For mm-hmm. parked outside in the airfield, blah blah blah. So, um, I mean, maybe that's a solution, you know? I mean, people have have just been put in such a position that they cannot do anything about the the state of the the situation going on in the world, and um, and so you know, Mother Nature will come in.
2: There. People are trying. In, in the background in the Middle East, we mentioned it earlier, we've had the Arab Spring and what is a clearly a grassroots, at least partially grassroots movement that reflects a genuine, let's say, revolutionary feeling among people. Of course, it was in Egypt, um it was also in Bahrain, I think Qatar as well, but Bahrain stands out to me. It's disgusting to think of the sheer hypocrisy of, oh well, we're going to support the revolution that wasn't actually there in Syria, mm-hmm. and then just not suppress support. and totally ignore what's, you know efforts to actually change something in a country nearby. It's
1: so massively flagrant uh, what they're doing, and it's so obvious what they're doing. And people, I just wonder, you know, how many people are even paying attention? Because if, if more people were just simply paying attention, they could not avoid the conclusion that the real aggressor in the world today is the West, is, is, is America, the Brits, the French, and all the other Western powers that support them and are involved in these invasions into other countries and and the killing of hundreds of thousands and millions at this stage Mm. of people and supporting extremist nutcases like the Al-Nusra Front in Syria, which is basically Al-Qaeda in Syria, supporting them, arming them, allowing them to go around killing civilians, encouraging them to go around killing civilians, and at the same time, Uh, claiming that that's, you know, a popular revolution, which is nonsense because 100,000 Syrian civilians have been killed as a direct result of U.S. support in this. And at the same time, like you said, in other Middle Eastern countries where there is a genuine uh, rebellion or revolution, popular revolution against or uprising against our truly brutal and authoritarian regime that cares nothing for its people like in uh, Bahrain or in Qatar, that that tries to get off the ground and is actually condemned or ignored ignored or condemned by the West. And in fact, <clears throat> they also ship weapons there. But when that happens, they ship weapons to the government so they can put
2: down a genuine popular uprising. Yeah. Have you noticed that in all the footage of mass demonstrations, wherever they are in the world, the the, the riot gear and the equipment they have Nearly always looks the same. Mm. It's bizarre, and then people—it's all
0: made by the same companies.
2: Yeah, well, then you see made in USA stamped on yeah. the side of the, the grenade, the made in China assembled in the USA. Yeah, <clears throat> I was trying to get a handle on some kind of idea of what what figures they're throwing at this uh, manufactured civil war in Syria. Obviously, being covert, they're not we're not privy to the size of the budgets. But there was something recently. Qatar, tiny country in the Middle East, but very much a US client regime has spent 30 billion 30 billion so far. I mean what motivator? it, it, it might what? not be on on funding and facilitating the, uh, Syrian rebel. The, the Syrian rebels. Yeah. I mean they they want Assad gone with a powerful will. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat>
1: Because he is a threat. Like like we mentioned previously, he, he is a threat and the the ideology that he follows, like we're talking which is Ba'athist, which is a secular the main point there are a secular, progressive, modern, etc. Socialist. He wants does not want fundamentalist Islam to to be the kind of the, mm. the rule yeah. in the country and, and the method by which people are Kept down because he and a few other leaders in in the Middle East see have seen that that just plays into the American the American um, kind of in, intent to to you know use that as an excuse to go around um, invading other countries and also it these people in the Middle East and these Middle Eastern clan states these these guys want to. Uh, maintain that uh fundi islam or Wah- wahibism wahhabism or um salafism uh sharia law and all that kind of stuff really kind of brutal despotic fundamentalist fundamentalist islam code of social code um, they want that because that's what keeps them in power because it gives them the tools and it's the it's the rule and it's the laws that allow them to crack down on any dissent whatsoever so if you turn around and have a take that away have it secular basically non-religious progressive socialist war people you're essentially empowering the people to some extent they're out of a job very quickly they know there be a re- if, if they were allowed that to happen there'd be a revolution in a moment and that's why they get rid of iraq that's why they supported uh, uh, the invasion of iraq and that's why they're supporting the, the, the what's happening in syria because they don't want any other arab leaders to stand uh, in opposition to them or to be uh, uh, an example of the way the Arab world could be
0: mm.
1: compared right. to what they the
0: want fear to fear is that the, the social secular secular thing would start spreading to other Arab Absolutely. states. They see it yeah. as a cancer that's growing yeah. in the Arab world yeah. that they want to get free of this this sixteenth um, seventeenth century kind of like hardcore fundamentalist Islam. Mm-hmm. Or, you know
2: the irony is um, that the the, the,
0: the pan Arab secular
2: vision right. that uh, Nasser originally. And then it's represented today by Assad. That vision is on, on the flip side. The other vision is the pan-Arab, Middle caliphate Eastern or, caliphate of religious extremism, on which is, of course, what Al-Qaeda is supposedly all about. But the thing is, the question here is, why, is, why does the U.S.
1: Want to, do, want, want to do this? Why do they want to overthrow these kind of secular progressive governments in the Middle East? I don't think they necessarily do, and I don't think they would have. Because it's okay, you could say that they want to maintain these despotic, fundy rulers in the Middle East because they have more access to oil and those, right. main, that major resource in the Middle East. But I don't think that is really necessary for them to have access to that. No. You know, they could strike deals and stuff, and they could yeah. basically say, "Listen, we have the main technology that can extract the oil. They're going to have to cut us a deal anyway, whatever." So the problem, what, what, the the elephant in the room here? These is, are
0: already client states, of
1: course. But the the elephant in the room here, as to as an explanation as to why this has happened is Israel.
0: right?
1: Because Israel cannot continue and knows that it will not and could not have existed for so long
0: right.
1: without this kind of intervention from the US and, their, and Israel's own uh, and the manipulation. Of
0: all the yes.
1: So while the Americans might if they said, listen, if we give up this idea of invading all these countries in the Middle East and north governments, we might take a little bit of a hit on the access to oil and stuff, but it's not really I mean when you weigh it up, it's not really the worth it.
0: Spice must flow. Yeah, it's not really worth it for us to
1: do that. We can get it anyway, you know. So let's not. I think they would have decided that, except for Israel, because right. on, in Israel's case, it's not just a matter of having a little bit less access or less profit on your oil resources. For Israel, it's basically the destruction of Israel. It's the, it's the disappearance of of the state of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel. Because um, if if the if that kind of a secular, uh, pan-Arab ideology was spread around all of the Middle East, around Israel, basically, you know, where you had... Israel had nothing to fight against, had no enemy to fight against, had nobody trying to destroy it, you know, Um, or the appearance of somebody trying to destroy it. They didn't have that as an excuse for their their raison d'etre, essentially. This is why we we must remain here and exist, because we are fighting against this... This extremist Muslim threat to the West and ha- America—you have to support us in this. You know, uh, if they didn't have that, I and mean, they wouldn't, obviously, if, if secularism and uh, progressive Arab nationalism spread all around Israel and the Middle East, um, Israel would ultimately have to um, would feel the pressure of right. of the of, of what it has done and right. how it what it is based right. on what the the, basis, what the state of Israel is based on, which is injustice and the dispossession of hundreds of thousands of people for, of their homes and their land. You know, so Israel can <clears throat> push that issue and that problem and has done for 60, 70 years, has pushed that to the, side, to the sidelines because there's a more important issue here, right. a more important issue of fundamentalist Islamic threat to right. the West and the entire world, and we are your policeman here to stop right. this from happening. If that went away, suddenly it's like, okay, everybody's living happily here. Israel, we have a question for you. Yeah. It's been on the back burner for a yeah. while, and we need you to address it. I mean, how about giving all that land back? And how about not being a solely Jewish state? And How, how about ultimately, well, which is what would happen, the border of Israel just kind of dissolving, and the Jewish people of Israel basically just dissolving into some other configuration of, of, of a Middle Eastern state, because they're in the middle of the Middle East, they're in, they're in, in, in Muslim lands. Uh, And at that point, it will be secular. There'll be no reason for them not to do it. There'll be no reason for them to take the belligerent stance they've taken for 60 years and meddling and trying to, you know, and and then the question of justice for the Palestinians will come up. And the last thing the Israelis want ever to be on the table is any serious consideration of justice for the Palestinians because they're in the wrong. Hello.
0: Uh, One of my favorite quotes from Martin Luther King is justice delayed is justice denied. You know, and that's kind of what's going on. The, yeah. As long as we allow the persistence of delayed justice, then we are denying it to those people. This is terrible. But I think what the West fears um, is an Arab union. You know, an Arab equivalent to the European Union, a, yeah. a conglomeration of Arab socialists, even dare I say, it, democratic kinds of states, together forming an economic union yeah. and agreeing with each Let's other. Let's tried that. Just the... normal countries rule more or less normally. Yeah, more or less normally. They fear that. Because of course, obviously, they don't want a union of peoples against them. The, especially the European Union doesn't want this. The European Union is is very, very strongly against the idea of there being any unions of people together. That was the big fear about the Soviet Union. You know, that's the big fear about China. Are all of the disparate you know Oriental peoples going to come together? Will we see like a ja- Japan? I mean, their big fear in that sense probably would be Japan, China a uh, union of any kind or North Korea, South Korea, you know, this type of thing. That's why they have that whole... Yes, the European is, Union are doing it. Of I've course. It. Because, again, you've got to understand... That's it's about it's, a power play. It's because like... Because it's consolidated... Weird top dog. Right. It's
2: consolidated along acceptable lines. Yeah. The European Union is not the social democracy, or at least not anymore. Well, I it's mean, consolidated it's, along the, the same neoliberal lines. Washington yes. is, but
1: yeah. it's, power, it's a power play basically. We were on first, and we don't want anybody to stand as a, as a, a I mean, you know, this, a, a threat or a a competition the essentially against our.
2: This is why Gaddafi, dominance. This is why Gaddafi yeah. had to go.
1: Yeah,
2: his his vision was to strengthen an African Union, which already right. exists, but to make it more along the lines of the European Union. Yeah. this is why Chavez had to go. His vision was. Uh, Latin American Union.
0: Same in Latin America. There's no real union in Latin America, there's no real union in Africa, there's no real union in Asia and there's certainly no union in the Middle East. There's only a European Union and its connection to the United States, which is not really a union itself. It's kind of like, it's got like Canada there who's a lapdog, and Mexico who just, you know, doesn't know what to do about the whole situation. But the only real group of people are, of course, what do you expect? It's white makes right all over again. It's the, it's the Western European, uh, for, for hundreds of years, British Empire, France, England, Germany, Spain, all those people. They went around the world. They colonized it. They've been controlling it, manipulating it. This is just a continuation of that same philosophy from them.
2: Is there something wrong with white
0: people? Yeah, there is. There's fundamentally something wrong with white people. We, we, we are the least numerous. We are the minority on the planet. We are the meanest sons of bitches ever. We are duplicitous, manipulative. We are one of the few peoples that just take so much delight in killing each other, suppressing each other. I mean, you know, like I used to kind of like look at the whole situation with blacks in America and with slavery, and I said – You know, they always thought you know they 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 thought white people were together on this thing, but we weren't because white people are 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 suppressed too. I mean, we we don't just do it to African Americans or Africans or Asians or Latinos. Like rich white people suppress and mess over poor white people. I mean,
1: so maybe we could say that rather than saying white people are the evil sons of bitches, uh, maybe we could say there might be some evidence that psychopathy or white. White Caucasian, white Caucasian genes... I think select. white
0: psychopathy is the worst psychopathy. Well,
1: well I think maybe white Caucasian genes select for psychopathy yeah, in, in a stronger way than does I think Asian do. or African. Yeah, That may be the,
2: the, the problem there. Yeah, It's not unique to white people, of course, but I mean, uh, something kind of related. Uh, I want to get in a word about the current Egyptian leader. I think he's prime minister? Yeah. Morsi. So today is Morrissey? The, his surname is Morsi M O R S I. Um today is the anniversary of him coming to power in Egypt. So this is post revolution. Egypt is supposed to be the great new beginning there for a Egypt.
0: In Egypt.
2: And there's a massive demonstration being organized against him. They already won him out. The people are calling for fresh elections. They realize he's a Muslim Brotherhood Stooge. And this guy throughout well throughout the last year, of course, and uh, vis-a-vis Egyptian-Syrian relations, this guy has been calling for, and I, I would assume facilitating uh, f- fundamentalists like him in Egypt to go to Syria and fight the good fight. Of course. He, I, can't, I, I was stunned when I first heard that. Yes, I mean, this is so flagrantly against <coughs> his own interests, surely, right. as an Arab. But he doesn't serve his own interests. He's
0: playing he for somebody else's white. Truth. He serves the white interests, as we were saying, the white psychopathic rich people, the West's interests. All of these client regimes, yeah. these
2: puppet rulers. Another interesting thing is that Iraq's prime minister. Now Iraq, okay, you think, well, the US are gone, kind of, they've got their client regime there, but their their prime minister doesn't always play ball. Um, his his is Maliki. And he, he has spoken publicly condemning the Egyptian leader, Morsi. Um, the Iraqis are on the Syrian side when it comes to this. And Maliki has come out blaming the Sunni Muslim Brotherhood for the continuing bloodshed um, and pointing out that Morsi is encouraging these nutcases to go into Syria. And uh, He says, I'm astonished to see the head of state of Egypt telling people to go fight in Syria Um, Morsi is openly gathering clerics and endorsing the fight there he is explicitly asking for people in Syria to kill Shiites now something when you look at the broad picture of the Middle East what something struck me that 10 years ago they were trying to the narrative was trying to divide Muslims in particular, along the Shiite and Sunni lines. And I thought, well, that's ridiculous, because they've obviously lived in peace before now. But I'm looking at the situation now, 10 years on, and it's like they've made this uh, dividing line come true. Because when I look at who's on what side, it's pretty much Iraq and Iran, Syria. Well, Syria is not Shiite, but how do I say this? It looks like it, this, this Shiite Sunni divide has actually been made manifest.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll explain a bit. Uh, the natural allies of Hamas would be the Syrian government. The Syrian government has been supporting the Palestinian cause consistently. But the Hamas leadership has come out against the Syrian government and for
1: the dirty war but, the, but when you when you talk about Hamas you have to realize where they are and how they are completely controlled by Israel yeah. and even uh, there's evidence that they've been they were originally set up
3: right by,
1: they were originally set up by Israel mm-hmm. as a counterpoint to uh, right. um, Arafat's PLO yeah.
3: which right.
1: was secular and all those things that we talked about, mm-hmm. uh, about Assad so Hamas was set up as a fundy organization and those guys are happy Right. enough to to play along and to play that fundy Islam card because it maintains their positions of power over the people. Because Hamas you know,
0: is Israel's Emmanuel <coughs> Goldstein. Exactly.
1: So, I mean, that's, that's the explanation for Hamas. Hamas will never be anything other than uh, controlled by Israel. And that's the unfortunate reality. Yeah.
2: Well, that's something I'm going to have to take on the chin because I was pretty shocked when I heard it. I thought, surely Hamas will take any support they can you know, and here, here they are telling Assad, after all his support for the Palestinian cause, right. to take the hike, and we're supporting Israel on this. Well, I mean, here,
1: well, they may think, they may think, Hamas may think that, being the fundies that they are, they may think that, uh, well, if a fundy government is or a bunch of fundy Islam, Islamic nut jobs are set up in power in Syria, that that might aid them ultimately in terms of, you know, waging holy war against them. Um, against the Israelis, you know, upping their ability to get it more support. Uh,
2: you know what I mean? Because there's another factor to take into account, though. Iran is supposed to be a fundamentalist regime. Yeah, but they're yeah. supporting the secular state. Hezbollah is supposed to be a fundamentalist entity. No, but they're not. That's lies. They're, they're That's supporting. Opposing. Hezbollah are completely... Are, 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 they're, they're,
1: <laughs> the idea of secularism is that there can be a religion uh France is secular, but it 's a christian country. Lebanon is a pluralist country with a bunch of different religions living there but hezbollah uh, are 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 muslims, but they don 't ascribe to fundamentalist islam i e that the Torah, uh, not the torah know would be the worse Quran. the Quran would essentially be the the rule book That's if you want to look at the government um, the government list of rules and regulations, look at the Quran, you know, the laws, just look at the Quran they don't want that, you know, so that essentially makes them secular, I, they, i.e. they don't want religion to be the defining aspect or how, the, the aspect by the, the, the book with which, by which um, society is is defined or, or regulated, because it's, anybody with half a brain can see that most religions are, are nonsense, you know what I mean, in the sense that the way the, the list of rules and regulations they have, I mean, only the Jews have gone to that extreme, really, of of using the Torah. Some, well, I mean, these they, Orthodox they just, Jews where they actually won't, you know, they won't kill a fly on a Sunday. They won't, you know, pick their left nostril on a Saturday, but they're allowed to pick their right nostril. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah, there's Orthodox Jews who who, who do that, you know. Um, so, but talking about this, the, the religious aspect of it, it's funny how. The whole holy war, jihad, you know, jihadists has become this meme that's spread around. And you ask any average person in the street, what's the major threat to the West today? Well, it's the jihadists, isn't it? I mean, the jihadi, holy war type people.
0: The and, religion or whatever it is. And,
1: and they don't even care. They don't, even, they don't care enough or have enough interest in it. They just want these sound bites to just repeat. And it's a simple explanation. They don't even have the enough interest to look into it to realize that there, that idea of holy war does not exist. Or jihad, as, it is, as they understand, does not exist in the Quran. So what are they basing it on? It doesn't exist in the Quran. Holy war, uh, jihad in the Quran is basically a spiritual aspect, which is striving or struggling in the spiritual sense. It's, it's an internal, internal it's war. Basically, uh, yeah, against the devil or whatever. It's basically trying to be a good Muslim. That's what jihad is. But uh, and the other thing is that there really hasn't been any throughout all of the various Muslim kind of. Uh, the 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 Ottoman Empire and the empires before that, um, there has been no Muslim holy war ever waged, you know, in the sense of like no ho- only the West. It's only West the West. And the Crusades ever did it for three hundred years at the turn of the right. first millennium. They did it for hundreds of years. They waged holy the Christians wars. waged literally a holy war where they went over to the Middle East to take it back from the Muslims <clears throat> because they were Muslims. They and they were killing Muslims because they were Muslims because they were on their supposedly Christian holy sites, which is nonsense, you know? And, but even that, I mean, you think about the history of it. I mean, it was around, Muhammad was 600 some AD or whatever, and and that's when the first kind of Muslim empire spread across, uh, you know, they had their kind of like, they they basically were able to walk in. If you look at the history of it, they were able to basically spread, and it was quite a big empire right across from You know, uh, the Middle western the entire, Sahara, the entire Middle East, all across uh, Indonesia. In, uh, yeah, and and yeah. and this way and round into Spain and stuff. And you look at it and even into Italy and 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 you wonder how did they just at that point in time? How were they able to just kind of like suddenly assert themselves as a you know? And it seemed to be a fairly natural process in a sense. And then you realize that <clears throat> in 540 A.D. most of Europe was destroyed obliterated by, by, by a cometary impact and of course you know the people on the edges of it who didn't which were in those days as, as, as Islam kind of asserted itself as a religion and spread those people just came across and went oh look an empty uh, house you know oh look or the ruins of a house oh look there's nobody here well let's move across and people just large p- groups of people you know as population expands will just move across the territory and if they find no opposition hey let's just do it and they did that <clears throat> and they were there for Hundreds of years, and in Spain, you know, from like 700 AD to 1492, the supposed reconquest of Spain, the, that that was just it took until 1400. <clears throat> there was no reconquest. As soon as the the the, the West, the Western Europe, and the Christians uh, kind of reinvented themselves and came out of the rubble after that that cometary destruction, uh, they just kind of like the, the the Muslims just kind of like retreated, they just kind they of just <clears throat> shagged off. Well, and they just, and just went away. Ahead. Oh, you guys are back. Sure. All right. Yeah. Sorry. See you later, let's go back again. It's know. cold here anyway. <laughs> yeah, we don't like it. It's warmer where we are. So, um, and that's, you know, th- that's the kind of ebb and flow of it right up until, you know, obviously you still had the, from 1500 on, you still had the, the Ottoman Empire and stuff and that, uh, as as the West kind of like started to assert itself in terms of the British Empire spreading across and stuff, spreading across the world, you had a reassertion of the Western, the more modern uh, Western powers. Uh, that and and there was no apart from the Crusades to take that back around you know in the 1000 AD up to 12 or 1300 AD you had uh, there was no real antagonism if you know what I mean in between there was no mm-hmm. religious war in that in the latter part of the second millennium say from 1500 AD, 1500 AD up until um, mm-hmm. up until today and it's only today that they have manufactured this you know. Clash, clash of civilizations you know where it's yeah. Muslim versus Christian that has never really existed except when the Christians did it to take back their their holy lands which had the Muslims had kind of occupied because the Muslims say hey you guys weren't here I know you had some problems over there in, in Europe with the whole commentary thing and stuff but
2: we just moved in because like, you guys weren't here but you know well that's what the Zionists claim they were doing in the near east oh well we need you know it's a land for what is it? A, a land for a land without a people for a people without a land. Exactly. I there was no one here. Yeah, there were people there. Of course there yeah. were. They eliminated them.
0: <clears throat> yeah, well, so, I mean that's what that's what everyone's done. That's what America did. Yeah, you know that's probably even what the Europeans did. You know who knows? I mean everybody does that. You know, and that's probably why Israel is going like, well, why is everybody complaining? You guys did this shit too. You know, somewhere along the way.
2: I along the way, Christianity was written after the fact to explain to these recovering Europeans a post-commentary bombardment. Somebody was whispering in their ears, you know, what you guys really need to do is go all the way over there to the Holy Land and reclaim your holy sites. Yeah, but they they would have that civilization have to re- come out of nothing. Well, they needed, and invent this story. Yeah,
1: they needed some substance to their claims for being this, this their history of their religion and the, you know the, something for people to 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 hang on to. You know, some this is the original holy land. This is where Jesus was born. All that whole some narrative just be, had to be re, remade and reconstructed. You know, and it was reconstructed yeah. as like Laura explains in, in, in her books, you know. Um, uh, was, the hor-
0: comments and the Horns. <clears throat> and comments and the horns Available on Amazon. Available on, on Amazon. Go on, get that too. As well as Secret History of the World. It show, yeah. Also it's, available on Amazon.
1: Yeah, it shows very well how, how history was basically made up again uh, after these kind of commentary bombardments. They just, you know, recreated a history out of nothing, you know. And um, we're talking about the whole end times stuff. um there's an article on the Business Insider recently. And I'll just read a little bit of it here because it's quite interesting. Uh, last year it was announced that the U.S. was looking to build a secret underground complex in Israel. So uh,
2: secret we know about it. So, so secret, secret that we know about it, yeah. It's a ridiculous thing, you know. So
1: there's a company called ContiCorp federal services in Edison, New Jersey, got the contract for $63 million to... Wow, this is so fucking great. <coughs> yeah, they're building five underground levels and six above ground buildings. Probably there's more, but this is the story, you know, more, there's more to it than this. But And they have 900 days from February 13th this year to complete it. Uh, the U.S. government then issued another request for a proposal to construct another site, also in Israel, all, also partially underground and that uh, is going to cost 100 million uh, to refinish six underground facilities and some currently occupied uh, surface buildings so when complete the well-guarded compound will have five levels buried underground and six additional uh, above ground 127,000 square feet <clears throat> first three floors will be housed will house classrooms an auditorium and a laboratory uh, they all and they'll all be wedged behind shock-resistant doors with radiation protection and massive security. And only one gate will allow workers entrance and exit entrance and exit uh, during the project, and that and not and one entrance will be guarded by only Israelis. And there's ah, another. It's, it's all well, well, getting the getting
2: people. Well, what, well,
0: well, well, the the other
1: thing is there's going to be they've requested that um, <laughs> the, this is the Americans have requested that medusas. Everybody know what a mezuzah is? No. A mezuzah will adorn every door in the facility. A mezuzah, which is basically Hebrew for doorpost, is a piece of parchment inscribed with specific Hebrew verses from the Torah. These verses comprise the Jewish prayer, Shema Yisrael, beginning with the phrase, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's affixed to the doorframe in Jewish homes to fulfill the mitzvah or biblical commandment to inscribe the words of the Shema on the knob posts of your house. Okay, uh, wow. They shall be written in, in unerasable ink on uncoated leather parchment and be handwritten by a scribe holding a written authorization according to Jewish law. They shall be wow. proof read by a computer at an authorized institution with kosher software. <clears throat> and it has to be fixed. So nobody knows what... Um, what what the, these sites that the Americans are having built in Israel are actually for? Well, what what do they I say they're, they're for there? Guess what, the, guess what the site's called. What site nine one one? Site nine eleven. Uh, mm. So wow. you know, I mean, it seems they're expecting something, or maybe they're just protecting their interests. You know, the Americans are doing it it's there like to protect their interests. like
0: they're building Noah's Ark. You know, I mean, they they think there's gonna I think that that's the group of people who thinks that there's going to be a nuclear conflagration. Mm. I think that that's part of that crowd. I mean there's all these different crowds, the Armageddon crowds, the end of the world crowds, and each one has a different idea by fire or by water and stuff like that. And I think this is the group that thinks that there's going to be some sort of nuclear conflagration in Armageddon like that. And I mean they're just crazy. They're just totally crazy.
1: Mm. I think on the religion thing, getting back to the religion thing, uh, people need to understand that um, very few people in the world today are practicing religious people. As in, there's most people can be split up into Christian or Muslim or I think almost none or are. other. But very few are actually practicing. We're talking maybe about you know five, six, seven percent, depending on the country. Like for example, I think in the UK there are 41 million Christians, but only about six or seven are practicing. So ninety-three percent of Christians in the UK. And what the, does the the mean? Well, it means they, they don't go to church. church. Yeah. No, they don't go... Yeah, well, practicing means they show up in church. Yeah, yeah.
0: practicing means they show up in church, but that, they're hardly practicing Christianity just yeah. by showing up in church.
1: So what you're talking about here in terms of fundy, fundy religious type people on both sides is a very, very small percentage right. of the population, you know? But yet, it's being presented as though in terms of Muslims that they're all fundies, you know? And the same, the same should be applied to, to Muslims, that... Uh, that all of them, all Muslims obviously are nominally Muslim, but very, very few are actually practicing. Which means that they're not really interested in the in in following the Quran to the letter of the law and
0: I mean, I etc.
1: But it's being presented that way, and it's that that that's an attempt to you know to give support. The West is doing that is spreading that idea to give support to this these right. essentially the fundy the small fundy cycles. It's like they've picked right. out the psychos in power have picked out the psychos the in the population and are supporting them as much as possible. And one way that you see the evidence of them being psychos in the population is, this, this is their adherence to the, or their adoption of you know, the fundamentalist tenets of any religion because the fundamentalist tenets of any religion are psychopathic in nature.
0: Well, the fundamentalist tenets of most religions are exclusionary. You know, yeah. they, they basically, even people read the Bible, they don't realize that fundamentally the Christian religion... Uh, pretty much spells out, for the most part, that not everyone is going to be saved. Yeah. Very few people are actually going to be raptured. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe... I think 144,000. Most are going to be ruptured. And most of them are going to be ruptured. I mean, there's there's supposedly like 7.58 billion people on the planet, depending on who you talk to and what numbers you think. You have to understand that 144,000 of them is a minuscule number. So, I mean, according to like the Christian faith, if you're very hardcore, Almost everybody, except for 144,000, are going to die or go to hell or burn or whatever or be left behind. All these different theories and ideas that they come up with, but you know, I mean, and that's the perfect psychopathic religion because the psychopaths are fundamentally, I mean, at the the very worst, they're probably about 6% of the population or something like that. You know, this is uh, the number that gets bandied around. But how many of those are actually essential psychopaths? Hmm. Uh, Probably not so many. So it's kind of like an essential psychopath idea. And and they're going around. I mean, it's a perfect religion for them in the end. It is, and I'm sure that most of the other religions are very similar in their whole yeah. idea of the chosen, the chosen few mm-hmm. that were were the truly God's, yeah. you know, faithful, in getting saved. Yeah, you know?
1: and, and they suck people in, and, and I mean, people, the whole idea of heaven and stuff. I don't think anybody really buys that. You know, I mean, who really? Well, it's kind of stupid. Well, I mean, who wants to do that? Think about what you actually enjoy doing on. on on, on earth type of thing. Most people enjoy kind of uh, being Living. active in some way and, and doing something, have some interests and, and be be productive in some way and learn things, right? People like to learn different things in different ways, whatever. But it depends, you know, I'm not going to give into the value judgments on what you should learn, but most people are learning something or have at least show a, uh, an initiative or desire to learn something, to to find out about things. So the idea of heaven then, that you're meant to aspire to, is that you're just going to sit around all day in bliss and do nothing? If you sat around all day in bliss and had nothing to do and were like, you know, you know fanned by angels and were fed grapes by, you know, 72 versions. By seraphim or thing. something, would you not get bored? Of course you would. After a few days, you'd be like, I want to get up and do something. So why do you think that would change if you went to heaven? Why do you think you would not get bored with that? Heaven turned like into an extremely boring place. So it's complete, it's, it's nonsense. Right. This is another example of how religion and what it, religion actually holds out, out actually to you is nonsense.
0: Large. Because maybe there's, there's plenty of like arcade games and there's like a Parcheesi and all that different stuff and there's plenty of Go and everybody's sitting around playing with There could be all kinds of amusements in heaven, right? That's totally possible. Right? Well, maybe, Let's take a step back because it gets ridiculous before we even get there. The whole concept gets ridiculous before. God created the earth and created the universe. Now even if you don't believe that the universe is very, very big, it's still kind of big from a human's perspective it's, it's kind of large and even if you are like a young earther it's still old from human standards like even if you believe it's like four thousand or six thousand years old it's it's still actually kind of old right so the idea that god did all of this work to give you 74 80 years to decide whether or not you should get eternal bliss is just ridiculous re- retarded it's the biggest it's retarded to think that it's like it's like god created this entire creation but only gave you 70 years and then the 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 young earthers are like yeah but people used to live 900 i was like yeah still in the scale of things 900 years is minuscule Mm -hmm. and and you are so minuscule in the size of the universe why in the world would god go through so much trouble you know if if life is just 70 years and it's heaven or hell take your pick Mm-hmm. It's like it's who designed this game. You know, it's over in like it's like it's over in the blink of an eye. And then you either get eternal bliss or eternal hell.
1: Yeah, it's no just a ridiculous. Proposition. But some people, very few, and this is what we're saying, very few people actually ascribe to that. And most people are just left in the middle where they're like, yeah, whatever. I'm a Christian because I was born into Christianity, but I don't. Most people don't actually practice because it's, 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 it's retarded. Yeah. You know, the whole concept is retarded, doesn't offer people anything. But yet. Somehow they're able. Share it in the stick. Yeah, but somehow they're able to use today these religions, this idea of one religion mm-hmm. against another, to instill fear in people and have people, uh, you know, um, go or support your troops and going to wage war against one religion that is supposedly coming to attack you and and take over the world. When you, the reality is that it's a very tiny percentage of <coughs> of the, of the members of that other religion that are being supported, and it's being inflated beyond. All, all sense, you know, uh, to to be this monstrous threat that it doesn't, that is isn't, does, isn't actually there. And if people were to turn it around, for example, they could easily do the same. Just flip it around, and, and it could have turned out that it was actually Christians, fondly Christians. Imagine everybody in the West was all Muslim. I mean, everybody could be Muslim because everybody could be just uh, in the West could be Muslim because they could just. Yeah. They, you would still have the small group of you know Pat Robertson's who would be trying to apply the the extremist view of it, and then most people would just be, would just, be uh, just Muslim nominally, you know?
0: Pat Robertson, but, calling imagine, for a holy crusade. Yeah,
1: well, he would. over
0: the infidel, yeah, the, infidel the West.
1: The infidel, no, or... The
0: liberals. No, the in, liberal Arabs must kill them all. Yeah,
1: either we're all in the Middle East, or, or let's say we're all still in the West, but we're all Muslim, and there's a bunch of Christians over in the Middle East uh, that are all, one of called Pat Robertson, he's a... He's a he's a terrorist Christian leader living and
0: in a cave with a long beard. Yeah, you and, know. He,
1: and he wants to wage holy Christian war against us. I mean, the the details uh, are there within Christianity.
0: Every religion, yeah,
1: to for that to be true, for that yeah. to be entirely possible. If it was flipped around, right. you have all the elements within Christianity that would allow uh, for this idea, an idea of um, a fundy Christian. I don't know what the word in Christianity would be for jihadi, but, you know, fundy Christian crusader is trying to, you know, come and kill our
2: uh, our children. I think we're touching on an important point here. The way in which fundamentalists over here and fundamentalists over there, their two interests end up converging into one unified goal without necessarily any direct intention on their part. This is the definition the biological root of conspiracy—it's a, it's a natural outcome of psychopathy yeah. in mm-hmm. the overall population. Mm-hmm. It's not that they necessarily need to be in the same secret society, reading the same cheat notes. Their natural function mm-hmm. as fundamentalists, as people with psychopathologies, yeah. either yeah. inherited or inherent, to end up conspiring against normal the human normal beings because population. they have
1: some well, visceral, if even unconscious awareness of their difference between uh, us and them essentially and they try to sow that division that they feel within themselves compared to normal humanity they try to sow that amongst the normal human population they try to essentially project out their own pathology onto the population and get people to fight against each other over psychopathic psychopathically inspired ideals of religion. Modern or? religion
0: is totally psychopathic. And, I mean, if I was God, which I'm not, I would be insulted by the description that religions give God. I mean, God is basically like, he's he's a, he's a giant slot machine. You know, you pull the lever of prayer and, and you get something out. Mm. I mean, all religions describe God as existing to serve man's every whim and desire, practically. You mm. know? I mean it's just it's such an insulting description of God, most of the modern religions. It's 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 the product of a pathological mind. Mm-hmm. Most of the writings in religious books are I mean, they have more in common with like Finnegan's wake than they do with War and Peace as literature. I mean, it's just nonsensical, schizophrenic psychobabble, you know. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have these core things that were thought out by somebody that basically set up the fundamentalist ideologies of psychopaths. Yeah. I, I mean, mean Yeah, I mean but <laughs>
1: I mean, I had this conversation uh, with someone uh, uh, once about Christianity, and I was saying, listen, you gotta got to get rid of Christianity, particularly, specifically in this case, it was Catholicism. I said, you've right. got to get rid of it. It's, it's it's obviously corrupt, and it's useless. Right. It's, it serves the population in no way whatsoever. Right. And he said, well, you know, he said the Ten Commandments are uh, a good code for living. Really? Have that's, you ever read them? That's what he said. Well, And I said, really, you're trying to tell me that, Human beings needed some divine entity or inspiration or something to get the idea that you shouldn't kill the person you're living next next to. That shouldn't, you shouldn't shag his Shouldn't wife. steal. You know. I, I mean, it, what's clear is that it wasn't that the Ten Commandments uh, were a product of divine inspiration that were passed to people. It was that the Ten Commandments came out of natural human understanding of the way to live your life. Right. You know. So it's it's not divinely inspired. it's it's. it's sh- Humanly inspired. I mean, if 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 they were, there's any legitimacy to them at all as a code for living. They came from innate understanding of a uh, understanding of a normal human being. You know. Right. So um, the only people who
0: need to be told that that kind it's of not stuff. okay to kill people are psychopaths. Are psychopaths exactly? So it was a and code, it, code of living. Work. Yeah, but. They don't understand it. So there was a guy who once said that the laws are are useless because they do good. They don't make good men any better, or they, you know, you don't need to make a good man better, and they don't make bad men better. So basically, they're, they're fundamentally useless. And the same thing with the Ten Commandments. It is kind of useless because, you know, the only people who are going to follow it are the ones who actually already think that murder already is not a good idea. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: So I think we have. Uh...
0: We didn't. We didn't get any callers today.
1: We didn't get any callers today, but because people were just so, kind of.
0: Did we not get any questions? They were no? shocked and all. Well, there were a few. There were comments on the uh, on the on the. I think most of the people like hated my whole support the troop speech. No, but yeah. no,
1: but that, that was important to, to to make that distinction because you know that's not what we were saying really. I mean, we're not saying troops are all psychopathic killers. We're just saying you know. But um, yeah, we didn't get any callers because they were all so. Shocked, shocked and awed, shocked and awed by our witty and profound repartee.
0: I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very awesome at this. You know, I'm just so, so, I, my bling it just emanates out from the that. That right
1: must be it, yeah. That's the only yeah. explanation. So, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that's explanation.
0: Um uh, no.
1: Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there for this week, folks. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Next week, we uh, our guest will be Hank. Albert Ellie Jr.
3: Uh,
1: Hank is a writer and investigative journalist and author of two books. Well, one of two books, but the two books we'll be discussing discussing are A Secret Order, Investigating the High Strangeness and Synchronicity in the JFK Assassination and A Terrible Mistake, The Murder of Frank Olson and the CIA's Secret Cold War Experiments. Uh, So those are topics we'll be exploring next Sunday. So until then... uh, Thanks to all our listeners, and thanks to... Oh, you know, you know what? What? Just as we're ending the show, someone calls. Uh, it's probably someone
0: trying to get in the last word. I, mean, I don't know. Do you think we should let them through?
1: I don't know. What, what do our people think? I don't know. I mean, I just was about to wrap it up, and then somebody calls. Maybe it's because you said we had no callers. Maybe I, someone feels sorry for us. I think... It's a pity call. We, yeah. It's, Will we take this pity call?
0: Yeah, go yeah, on. Yeah, let's see. All might right, be but we're going to take Mont- this pity call. If it's Joe know, from Montana, though, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. He's going to be...
1: Hi, caller. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, name's Chris. I'm calling
4: from Oklahoma. Uh, yes, hey, this is a pretty cool <laughs> It was a good show. <laughs> um, Thanks. Uh, but actually, um, by being a veteran, I would like to actually add something to the kind of the debate you had go on there for a little bit. Um, a lot of people do not under, really realize; it doesn't come out in uh, the mainstream media uh, the reality of what kind of really goes on when uh, uh, troops are deployed. <laughs> Number right. one is soldiers are always disobeying orders. That's why you have yeah. summary justice, that's why you have Article fifteens, yeah. you know, yeah. as a way to punch it. So it's not like you just uh you know, blindly go in, follow orders, do what you're told and so forth and so on. Authority's being challenged all the time. It, it yeah. it's not um it's not the way it's presented. Yes, you have a well disciplined army to a degree. Uh, second thing is, is that you have a duty to disobey a lawful order. You're required to disobey a lawful order. Unfortunately, um, the burden of proof falls on you to prove that it was an unlawful order. Um, and the other thing that goes, uh, kind of along with this is, when you have, like, uh, for example, uh, uh, Iraq, I actually went to Iraq, so, a lot of people would stand up and say, "I, I refuse this because, you know, it's, it's unlawful. We shouldn't be over here. But what people don't realize is, is once the government has, or, or the, the military has gone in there, they instituted a government, and however they did it, you know, the provisional authority, you know, and, and therefore is recognized as legally. It was, it was a legal government at that point. They then invited the United States military to stay. And so all these soldiers that said, you know, on on principles, I refuse to do this. Whenever this went to the courts, ah, uh, you broke the law because it is legal. So the entire illegal argument gets thrown out because they've already fixed that uh, right. you know, kind of uh, an issue. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and
0: why would they need to do the it challenging that way? It. Exactly.
4: Exactly. of this Exactly. Is, exactly. This is kind of the way this, is, this works. They've already covered all their bases mm. before they even send anybody in there. If you look back yeah, in so 2004, you'll actually find, uh, I know there's a couple in there, there's a lot of mutinies. I mean, so, you know, it's, it's not exactly this, yeah. this well-disciplined force sure at all.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you don't hear about the mutinies as well. They keep those pretty quiet. Oh, yeah, it's in their interest. Well, I know uh, in they,
4: October 2004 you had a transportation, you know, a mutiny, and that one did get, It actually Army Times leaked it. That's where I heard of it. But, I mean, dude, when I was over there, it was it was bad. I mean there was a mutinous, seditious vein running through the whole thing. Commanders were having bodyguards on on the base. You went everywhere to go into the talker command area, you had to be patted down or remove your weapons, you know. I mean it was it was pretty bad.
0: I mean I it mean, really the was frag Comes from apparently, I think it was the Vietnam War where, you know, basically soldiers would throw fragmentation grenades into the tents of, of their first lieutenants and stuff like that or or something well, like that. Yeah, well, that, that
4: actually happened in Iraq while well, a soldier did it uh, to his commander, and his commander sent in uh, uh, the old Camp Victory, or that was in Kuwait. I can't remember, it was either Iraq or Kuwait. So I think it was Camp Victory, Kuwait. But anyway, you know, this is not, and, and here's my view, and I mean, now that we've got to kind of the floor, something I've been thinking about a little bit. Um, I, I, I've always questioned this militarization of the police. Why even yeah. do it? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense, right? You've got National Guard, you've got Northcom, and so forth and so on. Why why go to double resources to give it to the police forces? Well, in my experience, when I came back, they gave you a lot of psychological, you know, like uh, evaluations or whatever, right? You fill out this little essay, you, not essay, but, uh, you know, kind of like when you evaluate your, your college professor's, you know, in
3: college, mm. you get mm. all those
4: little evaluations. You know, check the block, and it says, um, "Do you strongly support or do you, do you agree, strongly agree, disagree, and so forth and so on." Well, on one of those, that's your that goes into your your jacket. That's kind of your your mental health assessment. But then they do these other ones that it's totally anonymous. And on those, I noticed, and a lot of other soldiers that noticed when we came back, that it actually said stuff like. When you were over there, did you ever think of harming yourself or others? Do you agree, strongly disagree? Um, I had feelings or thoughts of, of physically harming my commander. Um, I believe that this war is hmm. is wrong, and and all this kind of stuff. You know, kind of a, a getting a. I think I think by the my opinion that even though they say that they did this for uh, to study PTSD, I kind of think that they took those statistics and they were kind of making an assessment of. What can we do uh, that is immoral, or have these troops do that they believe is immoral without uh, a mutiny?
3: That's yeah. kind
4: of what I think. And I think that it's possible, based on that assessment, whatever that assessment was, is why they went ahead and went with, we'll just militarize the police force, because these guys go to <laughs> citizens every day anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't yeah. think that you're going to have a lot of support. I really don't. I think that the so fear. What- of mutiny if uh, soldiers were used against uh, U.S. citizens would be way too risky.
1: So what you are saying is that the soldiers that have that have been to Iraq have seen enough of how it's basically wrong and illegal, and that that the commanding officers or that the, the guys, the top brass, have decided that they're not gonna. They don't want to have to rely on these troops based on the feedback that you're talking about as well. They don't want to have to rely on them to to do any kind of uh, homeland security.
4: That's exactly what I'm saying. Because when I was over there, I mean, you talked to other units and stuff like that, and morale, in 2004, morale was so low. And literally everyone thought that there was going to be a cascading effect of mutinies. I mean, it was even talked about openly. And then when when it came out in Army times, we were all just looking back, well, which the next unit? That was uh, some transportation unit from North Carolina, um, and they moved me. They was like, I think, 14,000 troops just refused orders. And uh, it actually came out. It was in the news. Um, we were all expecting it just to, you know, be a, a domino effect. It's like, mm. oh, crap, you know. So that's what I'm saying. I don't think, I, I, and I think that this whole militarization of the police. I think it's, uh, I, I listened to the one you guys did on the uh, NSA, PRISM. Uh-huh. And I think it was either you or Jason, or one of you guys had made the statement, um, but we're kind of all in agreement that basically it's a bluff. And I, I kind of right. think that this this idea yeah. of you know enforcing uh, U.S. policies, you know, uh, you know, against the citizens and so forth and so on, I really think it's a bluff. I think they can get yeah. away with it to a degree, but they know that they can't completely do it. But they want you to oh. think that they can. I mean, if you look even the new Superman movie, all this military on U.S. soil, you know what I mean? It's yeah. more of a PSYOP than it has any basis in reality.
3: Yeah, in Iraq, they're trying to I mean, this is program people. Country, and and yeah.
4: soldiers were—I mean, it was discipline was hanging by a thread, and they all knew it. Right. I, I think uh, it was bluff.
1: Let <laughs> Let me ask you, Chris, if, if you don't mind. Did you ever refuse any orders when you were there?
4: Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah. I
4: didn't get in trouble for it because we did it smartly. We all agreed in the uh, when Albert yeah. Gray broke out, we uh, agreed that we would not capture any anybody. We're not going to capture it if they dropped their weapon and ran. All right, see you tomorrow. <laughs> That's yeah. just the way it was. Yeah. Um, There's a, yeah. a lot of stuff like that. No, everybody um, uh, refuses orders, I mean, not even officers do. They're harder because of the way the command is structured, but uh, amongst the men, oh, yes, everybody refuses orders.
0: <laughs> see, here's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean this it's from my it. limited... Yeah. From my limited experience of, of knowing military people, that's what I've always heard from them from various different um wars. Anybody who I ever met from the military, they were like, "Ah, that whole image of, of mindless machines following orders and everything's this tight knit mind program thing is is kinda true but kinda not true, you know? And that yeah, I think that people hearing that like fourteen thousand troops standing up and saying we're not gonna do something, that should that should make you want to Say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe we kind of misjudge the military. They're not these mindless right. psycho killers. We support those guys. I mean, yes. not,
4: they will follow orders. But those are but troops. Do not, so you support they, troops, right? They do not. They they follow orders, but they're not happy with it. And mutiny or sedition. I mean, no one in the military. I've not met one, not one, a uh, service member. Well, army member, remember marine because I worked in the marines too. Um, but that actually supports the government. Everyone is anti-government. Nobody, no, no soldier actually trusts their government. And it's not like they just, you know, follow or, I mean, they're they, people get punished on a daily basis. You know, it's like, okay, and here's the way they do it. It's very interesting because they'll say, okay, you did this. You did A, this is your offense. Now, you can either accept a summary punishment, which is, it won't go on your record. It won't hurt, hurt you in the future. We, we do it at this local level. And we'll just take some of your pay, or we'll give you extra duty or whatever, or you can go ahead and request a court martial, but then the punishment could be so much higher.
2: You yeah, know? it's like a plea bargain. Yeah. Exactly,
4: kind of a plea bargain. And this is this is called summary justice through Article 15, and this is done. I mean, if you get Article 15, take your Article 15. You know that it's done. It's over. It's you know within a month or so, you're you're you're, you're clean. Um, and th- this is the system that, uh, of how it works. And um, one of the pluses of it, you know, in a military sense, is that you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on, you know, lawyers and stuff like this, you know, in a trial. Um, but on the other hand, you know, you're also not getting a lot of statistics either, you know what I'm saying, of of wrongdoing or, or, or punishments because it doesn't it doesn't leave beyond the company commander, so it's not actually going to go into any database, you know, that the civilian population can then do an information act. Pretty of information.
1: I can get those those numbers. And so. do, you, do you think um, it occurred to me that one of the reasons that there were so that there are so many contractors, or also known as mercenaries, is for this reason, uh, is for the reason that you're that you've been you, you're given there uh, in terms of the troops not really being being on on uh, on the same page. If you know what I mean, not right. re- really being reli- seen as reliable. That-
4: Right, I definitely think so, and here's what people don't understand about the contractors either. If you get a contractor, this is how they do it. If you get an American contractor like Blackwater, Dynacore, or whatever, they're going to have only a, a small core that actually come from that company in America. They're going to subcontract out to, like, Colombia, Nepal, and Chile, or, or, you know, all these other countries for all these other uh, large numbers. The majority of the contractors over there are not American citizens. They're really pulling mm. them from like Latin America and, and Africa. South
3: know, African.
4: Yeah. Exactly, and they're not paying them. I mean, they're making more than they would make in their in their home country for sure, but you know, they're not making that much money. And mm-hmm. this is how they're doing it. And yes, I think that they're doing it um, uh, to have a military presence or or to have the force element, but that they don't rely on. I mean, I don't think that they they rely on American troops. They know they have a limited window in which they can use them, you know. Effectively, yeah, you know, when uh, like after nine eleven, you know, everybody that's when I joined after nine eleven. I mean, I hadn't seen the, the the Pentagon video, you know. what I'm saying uh, the Pentagon strike video. I didn't know any of this stuff. I was just like everybody else. I was. It, I felt right to go. Well, hey, we got attacked. We got to do something.
3: Yeah, um, that was they, they use this well.
4: momentum. And they have this window that they can use American troops in before, you know, seditious uh, vein just pervades the ranks. And if you can cut it with a knife, that's how thick it is.
2: Hmm.
0: Well, man, we really appreciate your call, dude. That was uh, some good additions you made.
4: Hey, no problem. I thought I'd give you guys a sympathy call anyway. All right,
0: cool. Thank you very much. (laughs) We're going to...
3: So they up now. Cause I'm tired. Good
0: night, so, man. Yeah, so have fun.
1: So we're gonna, yeah. As we said, um, we're gonna wrap up after our sympathy call, <clears <clears our throat> <empathy> throat> call. Uh, as I said, we're gonna have a, a guest on next week, Hank Alberelli Jr. You can look him up if you're interested. So basically, until then, thanks for all our listeners for tuning in, and we hope uh, you can join us again next week.
0: And that's the way it was.